It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Attention shoppers. We now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right. An organic bread that doesn't need three spoonfuls of sriracha jam to delight your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is a 21-grain salute to the end of boring bread. A brand on a mission to make the most out of every loaf, to rid the world of GMOs and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. But Dave's Killer Bread has done more than raise the bar on bread. In fact, Dave's Killer Bread was built on the belief that second chances can change lives. When its founder, Dave, the guy with the guitar you see on every loaf, returned to the family bakery after 15 years in prison. Dave took that chance and ended up creating what would become the country's number one organic bread while never forgetting his not-so-easy path. That's why at Dave's Killer Bread, they proudly practice second-chance employment, hiring the best person for the job, regardless of criminal background. And by the taste of it, things have worked out rather well. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread Amplified. This is the Sons of UCF podcast, your place for UCF sports talk year-round. Now, here is Adam and Mike. All right, here we are, the 112th edition of the Sons of UCF show, a.k.a. the Gravelly Voice show, uh, where Mike and I are both um, uh, recuperating from the debacle that was the Boca Bowl, but don't you worry, we're going to get into all of that uh, throughout the show, but uh, obviously I'm Adam, and as always, UCF Mike is with me. Mike, uh, tough night on Tuesday night, buddy. How uh, how has the last 24 hours been for you? Bah humbug. All right, <laughs> that about sums um, it up. Yeah, yeah, not in a good mood. All right, well, welcome to the show. <laughs> we appreciate you for listening to us. Uh, again, if you're not following us on Twitter, make sure you find us at uh, Sons UCF and follow Mike at UCF Mike One. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at those same handles. And if you'd be so kind, if you're listening to us for the first time or for the hundredth time, who knows? Uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Hit that little uh, rate button. Uh, if you want to give a five star review, I mean, we'd love to see that. Um, it's the holidays, so that's uh, that's the best gift you can give us is a five star rating. The gift we'll give you tonight is a show that's jam packed full of stuff. Uh, Men's hoops is on a bit of a tear, so we have some positive stuff in the sports landscape. We'll talk about that. Cow of the week is with us as always. Uh, it's the uh, it's the season of Festivus, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna lay out the airing of grievances. We got problems, and you people are gonna hear about them. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll do some UCF observations, but obviously off the top of the show, Mike. Uh, Boca Bowl Tuesday night, BYU Cougars 49, UCF Knights 23. Uh, it probably wasn't even that close. I actually feel bad for BYU that somehow the score made it look even a little closer than it was. Um, we normally would do some sort of a good, bad, ugly situation here with doing the doing the bowl picks. Um, but let's just start this way. 
Can you take anything positive from this game? Are there any positives? We'll just get it out of the way early because I don't think there's a ton of them. But if you've got a positive, let's throw it in there right now. What, what's a good thing that happened to us uh, in the in the Boca Bowl? I got to hang out with you again. There we go. We okay. Done that, in a long time. that was fun. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. Um, there were no turnovers. There were no turnovers. turnovers Very good. Yeah. Either team. Yep. Uh, on the field, that's about it. <laughs> that was good. Nothing else good happened. Yeah, all I, all I wrote down was Obarski made all of his kicks. <clears throat> um, all right. I didn't see anybody get injured. I didn't see any uh, any any major injuries to any uh, UCF guys that I that I recall. Uh, maybe I missed a nick or uh, a bang up here and there, but I didn't see any injuries. So um, it looks like uh, maybe hopefully we uh, at least the guys who were on the field came uh, came out unscathed, which is a uh, which is a good thing. Sure. I mean, it's hard to get injured when you don't actually touch the other team. But. <laughs> you can fall on your own. There's non-contact okay. injuries, uh, but outside of that, Mike, it was look, it was it was ugly. Um, you know, I'd love to sit here and be able to to blow sunshine up everybody's ass right now and say, hey, there's a lot of positives to take from this game. Maybe there's one or two. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, uh, Mike, it was ugly early. Uh, it was ugly uh, late. It was ugly often. Um, and it's the first time in a long time. You know, obviously we're UCF homers. That's that's pretty. Um, I think it's pretty knowledgeable for everybody out there. Um, but it's the first time since like 2015 that, you know, pretty quickly into the game, you know, I think I even said that to you. I said, we, we just don't belong in the field with these guys right now. I mean, we just, we just didn't look like we wanted to be out there. We didn't look like we belonged out there. And that's a tough feeling. Cause that's the first time I think we've had that feeling since, uh, since that 2015 season. Yeah. It was a mass kicking. We have not experienced in a while. Even the, the cure bowl for as bad as we referred back to that bowl. I think we were still in that game going into the fourth quarter. This one was over early, early <laughs> first quarter. This game was basically over. I mean, there was a little glimmer of hope, but by halftime, it was 35 to 10. I, we haven't got our ass kicked like that, you're right, in five years. And we've always said about Heupel, hey, you know, he loses three games in a year by a total of eight points last year, and this year all the games were close. Well, we finally got our first blowout, our first embarrassment of the Heupel era, and it was, it was pretty disgusting to watch. So let's get some of the um, some of the ancillary things out of the way with the game. So obviously, uh, UCF was really shorthanded, and uh, I think we knew we talked about this during the show last week. We knew a handful of guys would not be participating, uh, and obviously that that held true. A lot of those guys, unfortunately, were on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we knew Richie Grant. We knew Aaron Robinson probably wouldn't play. Uh, we learned pretty close to kickoff that Stefan Zayas and Derek Gaines were out due to injury. Um, there's some there's some stuff floating around like I don't know I don't know who I don't know how many I don't know anything about the specifics of it I don't think it's been released and it's probably none of our business but there's there's some talk out there that a, a handful of guys were quarantined um, for uh, a lot of the the lead up to the bowl game and uh, and only became unquarantined if you will uh, shortly uh, you know the day or so before the game kicked off so essentially guys who did not practice uh, a ton throughout the week were out there. Obviously, with some depth issues, particularly in the secondary, uh, and so we saw a lot of young guys, a lot of scout team guys uh, who, who got some runs. So there will be those folks who say, "Hey, look, we did not have anywhere close to a full complement of players." I do know people want to talk about, "Hey, we didn't have the guys who were kicked off the team or suspended." While that is technically true, I don't necessarily buy that one because we haven't had those guys for you know six eight weeks now, um, and we've we figured out how to play without them by and large. So. I don't know how much stock I put into that, but but Mike, some might say we did not have anywhere close to our full complement of players, and we played a, a lot of guys who have not had a lot of opportunity to play. What say you to that assessment? Well, it sounds like excuses made the day after. I mean, when you lose that bad, that's all it sounds like. And 
you know, BYU was, didn't have their full complement of guys either. They were missing two guys on the offensive line coming into the game. They were missing a starting cornerback who signed with an agent. So it's not like they were at 100%. We had our big guns out there on offense. We had our quarterback. We had some of our big-time receivers. We had our running backs. We still couldn't do anything with them. So, I mean, unless these guys that were quarantined, maybe they're feeling the effects. of Some of them had some bad effects of COVID, maybe. And yeah, I don't know what the after effects would be. Maybe some of them were struggling with their conditioning. I don't know. But that, to me, just sounds like excuses made for us after just getting demolished on the field for 60 minutes. Yeah, I mean, obviously it adds a little context to it. But you're, you're right. I mean, the defense notwithstanding, I think everybody knew coming into this game defensively, we were going to have our, our struggles. BYU was obviously a potent offense. They were averaging 43 points a game, I believe. Uh, and so I think we all suspected it'd be a shootout. It was the the lack of offensive continuity. It was really the lack of explosion on the offensive side that was probably the most puzzling because I think we expected track meets. We expected, you know, big plays and, and scoreboard, um, you know, scoreboard light-ups, if you will. And uh, we just did not see that from the offense. You can talk about who wasn't there on the defense, and that's all well and true. And to your point, there's probably some unknown there. But outside of Marlon um, and Paolo Lue, who did not play the first half due to suspension, we, we had our full complement of guys on the offensive side. Um, and so there's there's really – unless some of those guys weren't practicing leading up to the week, but, um, you know, we had all those guys. And, and that was an area of the ball that we we just did not did not execute anywhere near what we're used to. Nope. I mean, everybody was off. I mean, Dylan had a bad game. We've seen drops. <laughs> the, the, the Jalen Robinson drop that would have been a touchdown Oof. completely just took the life out of the whole team and, and the fans at the time. It was ugly, man. There was nothing. We got how many three and outs did we have? Where we didn't even get a yard. A couple of drives we went with zero yards. <laughs> That's correct. It was, yeah. it was bad, man. It was it was bad play call. Everything. There's not one good thing you can say about the performance last night. The other question we're getting a lot of is, uh, are we now willing to put this as one of our ca- our bowl category options? If you're not familiar with how we work around here. Uh, we we essentially take things that we see and we give them a grade based on our previous bowl games. Uh, so obviously the, the two for us that we pick for the, sort of the tops, the, the top two, the best of the best are the Peach Bowl and the 2010 Liberty Bowl. And then the negative side of things, the bad things, we went with the, uh, the Hawaii Bowl, which if you're not familiar, we lost on a missed extra point by Matt Prater back in 05. And the Cure Bowl that you mentioned, Mike, the 2016 debacle. Uh, folks are asking if the Boca Bowl will now break into the ranks as one of the negative categories. That Cure Bowl obviously still is, is pretty bad. There's a, there's a healthy debate going on Twitter and social media message boards about those two. But, Mike, maybe, it's, maybe we should get rid of the Hawaii Bowl here. And, and make the two bottom categories, Boca and Cure. Uh, how do you feel about that potential change for maybe the upcoming season? Yeah, Boca definitely deserves a spot in there now, for sure. Okay. I mean, the Cure Bowl was against Arkansas State, which we all expected to beat, and they handed us our lunch that day. But this game was against a team, a good team, a top-ranked team. We expected a tough game, but it wasn't even competitive. So I think this was the worst loss of all the bowl games. I mean, scoreboard-wise, for sure, and how it felt throughout the whole game. Uh, like I said, even in the Cure Bowl, for as bad as it was, we were still a couple plays away from getting back in that game, and we couldn't do it. But this game was over yeah. very early. So. To me, the differentiators there are the Cure Bowl, we did not play as well as we should have played, uh, and it came back and bit us in the ass. Last night, we didn't belong in the field. Like, to me, that's, those are the two big differences, right? Like, we, 
we we could have you know to your point made a couple of plays in the cure bowl and maybe that breaks our way uh we just didn't play as well as we could have i think we underestimated how good arkansas state was uh i think and in, in, you know the boca bowl we just we just did we weren't we weren't ready to be on the field for whatever reason um either way so i think those are our two uh bottom categories i think it's safe to say mike i got a list of like five or six things here that are probably all fall in those bottom categories so uh we don't have to belabor this uh, too much but let's uh, let's go through the list of stuff i'll let you lead off anything that you want to uh, sort of highlight as a key for you that obviously is probably more on the negative side well, I mean, we kind of already went over it, but I'll start with the offense all around. It was just a, a big struggle. We expected the defense to struggle, but like you said, we expected the offense to match scores with these guys and keep us in it, at least giving us an entertaining ball game. And they gave us nothing. A couple three and outs to start the game. Like I said, a couple of drives with no yards, just incomplete, 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 nothing. Take no time off the clock. The Jalen Robinson drop was a killer. Uh, Dylan had no turnovers, but he just looked off his rhythm all night. He, he wasn't getting anything going. The play calling was the same crap that we've seen all year. We didn't see anything imaginative. We didn't, there was nothing. It was, it was the same few play calls that we always see. Um, and I don't want to hear the excuses about missing guys. Cause on the offense, we really weren't missing that many guys. Just the execution just sucked. Uh, I mean, you want to give BYU some credit, I guess they have, they must have a pretty decent defense. But what did Dylan Gabriel finish with? Like 200 and something yards? Is that his lowest output ever? 217. Uh, let me check ever. Actually, I, I sent you a note earlier. I was looking at some stats earlier. I'm not sure if that's ever, but uh, it's not great. Uh, yeah. Hold on, pull yeah, it up. I mean, I think it is his lowest one. Well, technically speaking, if, uh, if he's had a couple games. Temple uh, in 19, he had 218, but I don't think he played the full game. I think full game played – because uh, he had 127 against FAMU. Um, so, yeah, full game played, uh, playing all four quarters. This is this is his lowest yardage output. Right. So, I mean, we expected I, – I kept saying how this was going to be his game like his dad did to BYU. <laughs> like, he stays <laughs> up with four or five touchdowns. And it didn't happen. So, I mean, everybody's due for a bad game here and there. Unfortunately, it was at the worst time, the last game of the year. And now we got to sit on this one for how many months now? Until four, Eight more months <laughs> until we start to, to play the next season. Yeah, uh, uh, twenty-one of forty-five for two seventeen was was Dylan, uh, with uh, with two touchdowns. Uh, yeah, I think to, to to sort of piggyback off that, obviously you you mentioned his stat line wasn't great. Here's the thing: I've said this before, and I know people disagreed with it last time I said it as well. Heibel did that thing in the post game presser where he essentially said, "Yeah, they came out, they they showed us some stuff we hadn't seen before, and so we had to adjust." Yada 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 da. And I understand that that's part of the game, Mike, but I feel like I don't hear that anywhere else, man. And that just drives me up a wall. And maybe I'm just being nitpicky on this. But to come out and be like, yeah, we're we're a group of highly paid professional coaches. And we had no idea what the hell was going on for a couple series until we figured it out. Like either A, we're, we've got bad coaches, which I don't want to believe that. Or B, we just we just don't know how to make adjustments. Um and, and we, we just waste drives because we're just going to try and see what, what they're giving us. Can we get this, you know, three-yard wide receiver screen? Can we get this play here? Um, and that, that stuff just drives me up a wall. And maybe I'm alone and I'm I'm on an island on that one, man. But every time I hear Hypo make some sort of allusion to, yeah, they, they came out doing something we didn't expect. Like, that's sports, man. That's that's football. You're supposed to be able to figure that out. That's why you're here. And every time I hear him say that, I just, I just want to cringe inside because I, I just I feel like that just shows that we're we're just not as prepared. We go out there and run our eight plays at practice, and we say let's run these eight plays really well, and then we get to the game like, oh man, huh, these eight aren't working. Now, now what do we do? And that's literally what we're paying him for is to figure out what we do next. And it just frustrates the hell out of me when he says that kind of stuff. 
it seems I don't know if that's just his go-to thing to say after a loss, but I mean, he has no answers for these things. How do these teams? They're not doing anything. They're not reinventing football on the other side. Right? They're, they're not <laughs> I don't know, man. That... BYU might have done something new because I don't know if we've ever seen football like that because we acted like we never seen it before. Uh, what are they doing? That's so outrageous that these guys have never seen before. I, I don't get it. It's not like they're. I don't know, man. That just seems like an excuse or just something that he automatically says after a loss. He's got to be able to figure something out earlier and sooner. He's got to anticipate that teams are going to do something different. Yeah. You know, he can't just come out and say, well, I expect them to run the same defense that, that the Cows <laughs> ran against us. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Can we call a timeout? Hey, can you guys go to that other defense? Because we didn't practice against this one. Do you mind? Do you guys mind switching that linebacker? Like, uh, how about this for a novel idea? Why don't you come out and try something different, Josh? Make them adjust to you, right? You do something different. You use a different formation. You use something different. You change the tempo. Like, let them adjust to you. I know I know a lot of these, you know, there's, there's a couple of guys on Twitter who do a really nice job with breakdowns and show different formations and different things that guys do. And, you know, I know we've seen wrinkles and sort of changes here and there, but, you know, feel free to flip the table, Josh. And you, you come out with something maybe they hadn't prepared for, they hadn't seen, and uh, and see how they do that. But, you know, it just makes you wonder if we're just a one, one-trick pony in that respect. And that, that just frustrates the hell out of me. But, um Another the you mentioned this other thing in offense too, Mike. I wrote this down as one of the options, but while while we're on offense, let's just let's just talk through this one. Um, BYU's up fourteen nothing. UCF gets the ball. We go on a quick thirty yard drive, right? We're we're actually we're we're getting our tempo in. We had positive play after positive play, uh, and we're first and ten from the BYU forty three yard line, Mike. And busted coverage, uh, and Jalen Robinson is wide open. I think you and I from section two twenty seven could have gone out and handed him the ball. He was so wide open. Uh, it doesn't make the catch. Uh, then we uh, we unfortunately have a, uh, a false start penalty, and that drive ends up into nothing, right? Huge drop. I mean, Jalen's been money for us all year long, so you hate to say, hey, then that cost us the game, obviously, because there's so many other plays, but but that was a backbreaker. But if that's not bad enough, so we're still down 14-0. Uh, BYU gets the ball back, and we actually give them a stop on fourth down. So as much as that play hurt, essentially we get the ball right back. Sure. We, we, we lost the clock, but still 14, nothing, our ball. We're driving it down the field, fourth and one from the 23 yard line. And McCray gets stopped. Um, and I don't even, it wasn't even close. It wasn't like it was a tough play and they had to measure. I mean, he, think, I think he lost two or three yards on that play. I'm like that sequence of plays right there. That was our opportunity. BYU had, had come out. They were just getting whatever they wanted, and we, we had our tempo moving a little bit. We had an easy touch on the Jalen. didn't work out. We, we overcame that adversity, which I think was huge for a young defense and, and even an offense trying to find rhythm. And then it, we just get we get stonewalled there on, on fourth down. Like those two sort of drives back-to-back, you know, you hate to say that that was the, that was the ball game, but it, felt like, it feels like looking back at it now, that was the ball game. Right. I mean, that 14-0 is really not that bad especially in a game where you think it's going to be back and forth, back and forth. Two scores early, that early in the game, I wasn't really that concerned. But then once that dropped, and you hate to get on the kid because he's been great all year, and he's made really tough catches all yeah. year. I don't remember him ever having a drop issue. Even that one game, what was it, the Cincinnati game, where we had a bunch of drops. I don't even know if he had any of those. But that one was right through his hand. You can sum up the whole game on just that one play, right through his hands. Nobody around him. That was an easy touchdown. And... And then you're right. We had them stopped, and then we could. If he scores there, and we stop him, and maybe we score again. Who knows? Maybe things. Once teams start scoring, it kind of just it 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 goes that way, and then the whole game changes, and and it's a shootout both ways. 
once we didn't score and then they went up again 21 nothing yeah forget it i mean there was nothing else we could do yeah again it feels weird saying that those were the two biggest plays but i mean yeah we, we go in we go with that td 14 7 you know i'm not saying we we slow byu's offense down because clearly they came in on a mission no pun intended um but i mean it was uh it, it sort of would make you feel a little bit better about where we are and then to go back and get the stop which was not something we were really good at throughout the evening um and then obviously it doesn't work out and yeah it sucks for Jalen because he's he's been uh solid all season long it kind of reminded me of that Gabe Davis 2018 Fiesta Bowl drop where it's one of those things what happens and you're like man like you want to get on the guy right you want to you want to make it a Jacob Harris situation <laughs> but it, it it you know it obviously it's a different kind of player and, and he's he's been really consistent all year but you, you could easily put those two together and say man if we had had something working on either of those you know maybe they maybe the momentum comes a little differently yep <laughs> yeah, the, the Gabe Davis comparison is a good one. It's another one that went right through his hands. That could have changed that game too. Ah, right, so that's, that's offense. <laughs> I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's more, Mike. <laughs> what else is on your uh, your fun list of uh, of Boca slash Cure type of things that took place? The defense. There we are. Look <laughs> at all three phases. <laughs> they looked absolutely lost the whole night. It was. It would be one thing if Zach Wilson was just. You know, Joe Burrow asking, just kind of picking us apart and threading the needle on some of these passes and making outrageous plays. But he was completing passes. The guys were wide open. It seemed like every time they would complete a pass, you just go, this guy's wide open over there. And <laughs> he'd find them. There was no chance. Uh, we allowed scoring drives of five plays, four plays. There was a two-play drive coming out in the second half where they just went 50 yards like it was no problem. Pass, pass, touchdown. We forced one punt which came in the fourth quarter when the game was already over. It was just an absolute disaster and, and gives you less hope going into next year. I mean, we hope to see some of these young guys, Traymond Morris Brash and Selaskar and these guys getting pressure. There was no pressure on him. He had all day to throw. It it's, has me concerned going into next year, that's for sure. Yeah, up front, we talked about this in the last show. I mean, we went, you know, we go 250 on average on our D line, they go 300 plus on their O line. Um, so obviously we, we knew we were giving up some size advantage. We got, we didn't get any push. And here's the other thing about you. You said, you said something interesting. You said, uh, Joe Pearl kind of picked us apart, right? When I think of picks us apart, I think about a guy dropping back, you know, first read's not there. Second read's not there. Finds, finds an open guy and keeps moving the change. I think Zach Wilson had his first read pretty much every time, right? I think every time, whatever play they ran, his first read was usually open, wide open, or extremely wide open. I think those were the three options. Um, he didn't have to like stand in the pocket and make reads and make decisions and, buy himself some time and, you know, make some Houdini type plays. I think he legit dropped back. It was like, Hey, that guy's still wide open. Um, and, and that was the thing that's your point. I mean, it just, not that I want to take any, anything away from Zach Wilson, but you know, he certainly didn't have to sit back there and, and be kind of a, uh, you know, a surgeon amongst our defense. He, he pretty much had, had whatever he wanted. Um, just to get, add some color to what you talked about. We give up 655 yards of total offense. 214 running. We talked about their rushing attack. They had a guy run for 170 yards. Um, and then uh, Zach had 440. Actually, Zach and one other dude because he did a flea flicker. Uh, had 441 yards. They averaged nine yards a play. Mike, they averaged basically a first down every play that they ran. Uh, they, they pretty much averaged a first down, which obviously is uh, is not good if you're on the defensive side. They had 12 possessions, Mike. Of those 12, seven were touchdowns. Uh, two, they ended up uh, giving the ball back on uh, an end of halves or end of game. Uh, two, they, uh, they handed us uh, the ball on fourth down and then they had one punt. So they, they were pretty much on a roll, um, the, uh, the entire time. Like it, 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 there wasn't a whole lot of good stuff. And here's the thing. 
I'm going to say something. I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I, I hear a lot of this whole like, hey, you know what? It's all right. A lot of young guys got experience. Yada, yada, yada. That doesn't mean the young guys are good. Like, I, I, I'm all for guys getting experience and stuff, but if these guys were, were somebody we were looking at, they probably would have gotten in at other portions of the game. Um, and so while it's good to get some young guys some run, that doesn't mean these guys are part of the core nucleus of the future of the of the secondary or the line or the linebackers unit. It felt like we were just kind of rolling out bodies. Um, and so as much as, you know, you want to say, hey, some young guys got some valuable time in a bowl game, it doesn't necessarily mean all these young guys, you know, A, are going to be in our future in terms of our rotation, and B, that these guys are were played well or, or, or guys that we would normally play. So I'm all for guys getting run, but I don't know that that, that, that should be something we should hang our hat on and say, hey, we got these guys out there that got blasted in the Boca Bowl. I mean, 2021, watch out. I just, I just don't know if I can put those two things together right now. All right. You, the stat news just jumped out at me. We stopped them five times total. Two of those, were they, they got stopped by the end of the half at <laughs> yes. the end of the game. Yes. The clock stopped them as much as we did. We stopped them three times total. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. But, uh, it's really bad. Dude, nine yards of play. <laughs> they averaged basically their first down every play that they ran. Nine yards of play. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Right, it's as bad as it gets, man. And we saw these holes in, in the cow game. I mean, how many yards did we give up to the cows? How many yards have we given up now in the last two games? Over a thousand yards. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. I, so I mean, that's, I guess that's my second. I had the defense too, but those are the stats that I kind of pulled out of the out of thin air that just stood out to me. Is just the amount of yards we gave up, and you know, again, I, I know we're playing some young guys, and and hopefully these guys are in our future, but. You know, I, I guess I'm not I'm not just convinced just, hey, we go, hey, you know what, young guys played, and so this is bodes well for 2021. I, I don't know if that, that necessarily puts those two together. But um, so defense, not, not our strong suit on uh, on Tuesday at the Boca Bowl, Mike. So you said all three phases. I assume you have some special team stuff you want to uh, you want to get on next? Uh, no, I don't really have anything for special teams. Like you said, Obarski hit all his kicks. Um, we didn't really um, – return any punts because there's only one punt in the game so yeah, we tried that we tried, we tried that we got blasted <laughs> amari johnson god love you man you want to make a play i'm all for you but he got he got lit up uh my third thing i'm going to bring up is, is just the preparation yeah. for this game and i know it wasn't a traditional bowl week where we, there were no festivities and usually that's what happens when you go off to these trips and you get a whole week of every night there's something going on so I guess hype will try to lighten things up the last couple of weeks around practice. And they, they did different things. You know, they played softball, they played kickball. They were going down the slide with some snow and all this stuff. But are we preparing for a bowl game here or, or against a top ranked team? Or are we going to summer camp? I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> Was there an arts and crafts days? On one of these things? <laughs> Did they take a field trip to the zoo? I, don't, I mean, this game could have, it meant a lot, man. If we would have won this game or we would look good in this game, it sets itself for next year. We talk about the opener against Boise State going into that game. We're not going into next season ranked. I'm sorry. No. Uh, and we could have. We would have finished this season ranked with a win. And now all that's out the window. And I understand you want to reward these kids. It's the end of the year, and they, they did a great job. They got to play all the games and all that stuff. But – when you do things like this and you're playing kickball and you're going down the slides and the snow and all, it just looks bad when you get embarrassed on the field. And that's how it looks. It looks like these guys weren't as prepared as BYU. I don't know. I don't follow the BYU accounts. I don't know what they were doing all week, but I doubt <laughs> they were doing these type of things. And they looked like they were went out there ready for business and they took care of business and made a statement against us. And now we're back to being just a regular G5 team now. 
<laughs> the last few years, the way it's ended, we're playing in the freaking Gasparilla Bowl and the Boca Bowl, and we're getting our asses kicked by BYU, who had a good year, but they're they're not like they're not Alabama, they're not Clemson, they're not one of these dominant teams year after year. They're a good team, and they were good this year, but they should not be kicking our ass forty nine to twenty three. It was really forty nine to ten. Those last two garbage touchdowns were just garbage. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Hypo will tell you that the the bowl that stuff was all in um, in place of the normal bowl festivities, right? Where you you do some of that stuff when you're out and having a clam bake or whatever else the bowls do. So I think that's what they would tell you about that. T- to me, the the telling stat, Mike, was um, I actually did the math on this. So UCF uh, and the stats department sends out sort of a a, a packet uh, of the game results and whatnot, and there's a participation report. That essentially shows everybody who played. It's not always accurate, though, because they have names messed up and numbers. But I did the math here. UCF played 40 guys, according to that report. BYU played 60. So we, we had 40 guys step on the field. Uh, you know, you and I were behind their bench. The bench looked thin to begin with, both in numbers and in size. Um, and it just it just didn't seem like – it seemed like we got down early and – you know, it just, did, you know, we talk about the juiceless or useless. It just didn't seem like a lot of juice, you know, coming from the sidelines. Um, I'm not going to be bad body language expert guy, but a lot of guys just seemed like, you know, they were like, oh, man, like a lot of heads that were hanging. A lot of guys weren't really talking. There wasn't a ton of, of guys walking around hyping everybody up. I, you know, Dylan was going around, ta- you know, tapping some guys on the head, trying to get the, the old lineman to go. Um, but it just it seemed like, you know. At the end of the day, you know, these guys, they, they, they came to play and, you know, they got down early and, you know, Hypo and the staff, I, I don't think they made adjustments, obviously. And I just wonder how that played on the kids, right? It just didn't, didn't seem like after things got down that we were, we were equipped and we kind of had the mental fortitude to, to want to pull out of it. And I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth, Mike, because in some respects, I get it. I mean, they've been playing for, for, you know, how many weeks uh, they've been dealing with it, with stuff that none of us probably will even ever understand behind the scenes with testing and, you know, protocols and losing guys and not being able to hang out with friends and not being able to see family and stuff. I'm sure all that stuff gets to you after a period of time. Um, you know, it's even curious, you know, some people are, are, are speculating or wondering if there were that many people in the COVID protocols, should we have ple- even played the game? Um, you know, I, I can go either way on that one, frankly, but it just, it just didn't seem like a lot of juice to your point. Um, and, and I don't know if that's on hyponess preparation. I don't know if that's just on circumstance. Uh, the reality is it's probably a mixture of all of it, but uh, 40 guys playing on the field uh, obviously is 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 a concern, um, and 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 not all that uh, is is due to COVID. I know there's opt outs and other stuff, but I think that was the most telling stat when I when I did the math. You know, 60 guys to 40 guys, uh, you know, and and they got some big dudes, and it just did not go well. Yeah, they were able to play their whole second team, third team's probably against us with their backups, and they still were able to do what they did to us. Uh, I mean, I don't know <laughs> who. Who are we missing that would have made a big difference, really, in the last? Yeah, you know, Marlon Williams. What was he? I mean, he could have, sure, maybe made a, a nice play here or there, maybe scored a touchdown. But these guys were just better than us, I guess, <laughs> and a lot better than us. Which is the the real problem here is why is this team so much better than us? We've gone backwards now for a few years, and, and it's getting pretty old. Yeah, like I said off the top, it's been a long time since we got on the field and the other team that we played across was we didn't belong in the field with them. And, and that's the, that's the challenge, Mike is talent wise. Like, I don't know that that's true. I think talent wise, you, you put our talent, our skill guys up against their skill guys. I feel like we probably have the edge in some of those categories or if not very close. 
But you you add sort of the the team element that you know they played as a team. Uh, their offensive line was just manhandling people. Probably could throw, you know could have thrown some flags here and there by the way refs. But um, the, the offensive line was one unit. They manhandled our defensive line. Uh, you know they 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 got pressure on Dylan pretty much all night long. Got him out of rhythm. Got him out of sorts. Uh, you know that's actually the first time too. By the way, I, I was thinking about this one. You typically Dylan's uh, Dylan's height. Um, isn't necessarily an issue, Mike, but he had at least two or three balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. One or two of them, at least, that could have gone for interceptions that luckily didn't. Um, I don't recall seeing that before, Mike. It seems I think that's the first time I feel like I've ever kind of seen him consistently have balls batted down at the line of scrimmage like that. Maybe that's something BYU, I guess, was working on. Maybe that's something that we haven't seen before. <laughs> guys that put their arms up. Uh, guys yeah, jumping. I mean, <laughs> some guys are just good at doing that. Maybe yeah. BYU has a couple guys that are really good at that. I don't, I haven't followed them all year. Maybe that's something they've been successful with, but you're right. His, usually his height is not a, a big deal, but he's got to be able to move his feet more. He's got to be able to get out of the pocket and make plays with his feet more. That's the one thing we've been asking for now for a few years. We haven't seen that development in his game. That's the difference between him and Mackenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton would make, if nobody's open, he'd run and get the first down. That's how we stayed in the peach bowl. He couldn't complete a pass in the first half, but his legs kept us in that game. Yeah, and we haven't seen Dylan do that at all. We know he can run. He's not slow. He's athletic. Is Hypo scared to have him run because of what happened to McKenzie a couple years ago? And he doesn't want that same problem. Remember, it was um, Narduzzi. I think that set, maybe put it in his head going into last <laughs> season. Narduzzi Remember? gets him every time, <laughs> and he hasn't allowed Dylan. Uh, whether he hasn't allowed him to run or he hasn't designed enough plays for him to run. I don't know, but he's got to open up that part of the playbook and, and open up that part of Dylan's game. Well, here's, it would make him a lot dangerous. I, I tried to figure this out earlier. I sent you – I did some Excel spreadsheet work here. I went through all of Dylan's games at, at UCF. Because here's the, here's the thing, Mike, and I guess let me ask you this question kind of very broadly. Um, and I don't mean this to be a slight on Dylan Gabriel, so people are going to hear this and be like, oh, look at these two guys turning on Dylan Gabriel, blah, blah, blah. I don't mean it to be that way, but I'm, I'm really just kind of curious – kind of where we are and what we should think about from an expectation standpoint. So I'll ask you this question broadly. You give me your answer. Is Dylan Gabriel good? Yeah, he's good. Okay. He's very talented. He's an accurate passer. He, he can throw the deep ball. He can throw He can throw with zip. Uh, I think he's a good quarterback. But, I mean, I know you're going to go with this. So, <laughs> well, no, so where, go with it. <laughs> where, where I'm going to go is, is I, I agree with you. I think he's good. But I think, you know, something similar to the hypo record thing, right? Everyone says, you're going to fire a guy who's 26 and 7, blah, 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 right? Uh, and, and you're going to you're gonna tell me a quarterback who, you know, who's thrown for over 600 yards and yada, 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 yada. But if you, if you look at Dylan's stats, and I don't want to be that guy who calls him a compiler. I know it's like a baseball stat, right? But uh, so what I did is I, I broke down every game Dylan has played. Um, so let me do the math here, including last night's, which isn't even on a lot of different services yet. But uh, so you've got 23 games Dylan's played. And I broke down the opponents, what I thought were bad opponents, average opponents, and good opponents, right? Uh, so the bad opponents are obviously the common ones that we play all the time. Uh, UConn, ECU, Temple, Tulane, the Cows. Uh, I even threw Georgia Tech in there. I think Memphis was a bad team this year, Mike. I don't know. Is that is that controversial? No, they weren't great. That's for sure. And then I, I, I broke down average to good teams. So average, I put Stanford, Pitt, um, Houston twice. I don't, I don't even know if that's really accurate, by the way. Uh, Tulsa, Cincinnati, and, and BYU. So when I did that breakdown, you get fourteen, um, you get fourteen games against what I call bad opponents, and then you have essentially you know, nine games against what I would what I would term good opponents, right? And the fourteen games against the bad opponents, which are the opponents we play a lot, by the way, ECU, Temple, Tulane. 
I mean, UConn, obviously not anymore. Those guys are the cows. Those guys are in our side of the, of the division. Not that they're divisions anymore, but those guys are the, are the teams that we play all the time. He's 14 and one in those games. Uh, 13 and one, excuse me, in those games, with the one loss being to what I term a bad Memphis team. He's averaging 323 yards, three touchdowns, and one INT, less than one INT, and almost half a rushing touchdown in those games, right? Well, so in a kind of a no bleep Sherlock moment, in the nine games that I have against what I think are good or average teams, he's three and six. He's averaging uh, basically right at 300 yards a game, two touchdowns, and an INT a game. He's obviously playing worse in the games we're losing, which again, yeah, you know, no kidding, Adam. That makes some sense too. But I just, I just wonder if we look at the stats that he's able to put up against some of these bad teams, and and maybe give him traits that he just hasn't built yet. And I'm not saying he can't build them or he won't build them. But I think in some respects, we we anointed him to like this best quarterback as he threw for 600 yards against a bad Memphis team, when in reality, that's that's the outlier. And and so I guess what I'm what I was trying to understand is, you know, what should or could we expect from Dylan as he moves forward with UCF? Obviously, we've got to win the big one, um, you know, and, and how do we how do we best do that? And, and and should we kind of recalibrate our expectations and say, yeah, he's a really good quarterback, a young quarterback who still has a lot of growth to, to have. But I think we attach the stats because they're ridiculous, right? He's 61 touchdowns already, um, 7,200 yards. We attach those stats. But maybe we should be more realistic and just say, hey, he's still a young quarterback learning to play the game. Uh, I don't know if I completely agree with that. I think a lot of it goes back to more Heupel than Gabriel because even in look, the loss to Memphis this year, he didn't play bad. He didn't turn no. the ball over. He, no. he threw 600 yards. He, and, and then the game's – Last year, where we lost, I mean, how much of that is on the offensive line, too? Sure. I mean, he got sacked how many times against Tulsa? And now some of his sacks are okay because he's, he's not making the decision quick enough to get rid of it. But some of it is he just had no time to throw anything. So, and I don't know if it's just Hypo's, I guess it's as simple as Hypo's play calling, where, I mean, we know it's not, not creative. And we we've we know that his philosophy is that our guy is better than your guy, and we're just going to throw it up there, and that works against these bad teams, but it, does, it doesn't work against good teams. And Hypel had the same issue when he was at Missouri. Yeah, when he, when he was in Missouri, he they put up huge numbers against bad teams too. And anytime he played a good team, well, then they they got their asses kicked. And he had Drew Locke, and he was a good quarterback. And I think Gabriel is good, and on. And some of these losses are on the defense too, and yeah. special teams, and so I, I don't, I'm not going to say he's not good. I think he's good. Yeah, again, I'm not trying. But to he can definitely get better. Well, I'm not trying to say he's not good. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is do we have such lofty expectations of him because we've seen him put up some of these ridiculous numbers against teams like ECU and Temple that when we play a good team and, and maybe he plays a little bit, you know. Uh, maybe a little bit below that standard that we're like, hey, what's going on with Gabriel? Is he the guy? Is he this? Is he that? And we forget he's kind of a young quarterback still developing. And I guess that's a fair point. Is, is he getting the offensive support that he needs from a coaching standpoint, from a play call standpoint? Um, I just think it's interesting to to look at his numbers uh, and just kind of figure out you know what is he what do what is he? And I guess maybe that's a better a larger question is what do what do we as a team need to do to get over the hump against some of these teams that we just can't seem to seem to teams to knock and obviously BYU isn't one of those teams but they're they're a facsimile of, of teams we've played before in Temple and, and Cincinnati I don't think we've seen not Temple excuse me Tulsa and Cincinnati um, I don't think they have the offense BYU has but um, you know what do we need to do to get over the hump against some of these teams yeah, if I had that answer then I might be the head breaking coach. news UCF Mike has been announced as the head coach <laughs> um, and so uh, this game is the one that really 
puts that question out there because of how we lost. The other games, like you said, they were a play away. And if we win those games in 2013, we could have easily lost four of those, five of those, and we found a way to win them. Same thing in 2017. There were a couple close ones there at the end. The championship game, both championship games in 17 and 18, and we could have lost. And maybe you want to call it luck, the football gods, or whatever on our side. We found ways to win those games. And now the last two years, we're losing close games. So maybe if we win those games also and we keep the same luck, we're not asking these questions. But then a game like last night, where we just completely dominated, now these things are coming up and they're not going to stop now. And it sucks that it's the last thing we saw and the last thing we're going to see for a long time. <laughs> so we're going to be asking these questions all offseason. Yeah, I think maybe that's a fair point. Is, is We've got to figure out a way for – or not we, but – there's got to be a way for Heupel to figure out how he can support Dylan's growth as a quarterback. Um, and I think that you brought up um, Drew Locke, which is interesting. I was actually looking at some of that stuff earlier too, just for comparables. And it's funny, there was an article that Drew Locke had, and I don't know if it was meant to be shade. I think it was. Uh, so after Heupel left to go to UCF, they hired Derek Dooley, uh, who was previously the head coach at Tennessee. Then he was the offensive, uh, I think he was a wide receivers coach for the Dallas Cowboys. And they hired him to, to come in as the, uh, the new OC after Heupel left. And midway through the season, or somewhere earlier in, in the year of, of Dooley's first season, um, Locke gave an interview with you know local paper or whatever, and he made a comment, essentially quote saying, um, "It's good to kind of get a chance to play in a kind of a real style offense, an NFL style offense. I feel more prepared. I feel like I'm learning more. Blah 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 blah." And the article kind of essentially made it seem like it was a shot at Heupel and his system. But um, you wonder if there's truth to that, Mike. If and if that's something that Heupel needs to be aware of as you think about Dylan Gabriel is is turning him into a complete quarterback. And, and you know, helping him figure out ways to win close games and, and to, to call games that are favorable for him. Um, because I feel like we just have expectations of him because we know he can throw for 600 yards. Um, and then, you know, when games come where he only throws for 250 or 275, you can win games throwing for 250, 275. Um, I just think we have to figure out how, how we help Dylan continue to grow and mature as a quarterback because now it's obviously clearly his team. Uh, so, so how does Hypel do that? I think that's going to be a huge part of, you know, the offseason conversation. Well, this is a gimmick offense. Let's call it what it is. It's a gimmick offense. It it runs well because we run at a, a pace that nobody else does, and teams are not used to it. And when it works, it, it's beautiful. <laughs> Once teams do something different at us, and we don't know how to do react to it, it's it sucks. You go three and you get a lot of three and outs. When you get three and outs, then it completely screws up the whole defense, and then the whole team's out of whack. So teams are starting to figure out the hypo offense. Oh, yeah. It was cool for a year or a year and a half, and now all the holes are opening up. Yeah, it reminds me of that, um, I think it was 2007 maybe, uh, when the Miami Dolphins broke out that Wildcat offense against the Patriots and like went up to Foxborough and like blew their doors off. And, and all of a sudden, everybody in the entire league was like, oh, my God, how do we get the Wildcat? People were – the Dolphins freaking drafted Pat White because they wanted to take it to Wild, you know, Wildcat 2.0. And everybody was running the Wildcat. It was unstoppable and yada, 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 yada. And just like smart coaches do, Mike, they figure it out, right? They figure out how to stop a system. They figure out how to how to do that. You get enough film, you get enough tape, and you, you start figuring out. Same thing with the Ravens, Lamar Jackson. He was the MVP last year. This year he's playing well, but you know defensive coordinators are starting to figure out how to defend him. And I feel like that's kind of maybe where we're at with with Heupel. If if you have you know good smart coaches and you have a good system and, and good players, you know there's now a blueprint. There's a playbook. There's tape out there on how to slow down UCF's offense. And, and now we've seen it happen back-to-back years with both Tulsa and Cincinnati. And, and obviously, BYU certainly ate our lunch. I don't know that I would say Pitt and Memphis did that. I think we lost those games more than than, um, than they beat us. But 
to your point, there, there, there's a blueprint that's essentially established now that if you are a D coordinator and you want to figure out how to stop UCF, obviously you need players and, and, and you need, you know, guys who execute, but you know, it, it's, it's caught up at this point. Right. And, and how do we adjust from that? How do we, how do we kind of bring it to a hypo 2.0 type offense? Well, he's got to develop. He's got to come up with something different and maybe it starts with the, the pace of play. Maybe not always running out the same style and the same things. And I'm sure there's a pattern. There's got to be a pattern that coaches have figured out on him or something he does. Cause how else do you get the plays in so fast? Obviously, there's all the kids know what plays are coming. They all go together. So maybe once they see what the first play is, other teams have figured out what the next play is going to be. And a lot of times he runs the same play over and over again. So teams catch on to that. Okay, they ran it up the middle. Well, guess what? Usually when they run up the middle, they run up the middle again. So then they're ready for it the second time. Yeah. So uh, he's got to, I guess, change his whole philosophy on offense because it's not working anymore. Well, it's almost like, you know, and I think the thing Dylan has done better in his sophomore season than his freshman season is freshman year, it seemed like he looked for his first read. If that wasn't there, he scrambled, threw it away or whatever. It seems like this year he's at least, you know, now surveying the field, trying to, you know, maybe buy some time to find an open guy. But, I mean, that's also part of Hypo's offense is if there's only one or two reads and the defense takes away the primary read and, and you know, Dylan's left-handed, he's on that side of the field, right? I mean, at that point, it's already becoming a dead play. And I think that's where we – I guess I'd, I'd love someone to do a stat breakdown, and I don't know how you even quantify this, right? How many of the plays that we run do we sort of beat ourselves versus how many plays does the defense beat us? You know what I mean? How many plays do we just throw a bad ball, we just – we don't block a guy, and we don't get execution? I, just How much of it is self-inflicted? And how much of it is what a defense runs? I think it'd be really interesting to see. Again, I don't know how you quantify some of that stuff too, but I think we're we're sometimes our own worst enemy in some of those things. Yeah, it comes down to execution too. I mean, we have a lot of talent. How many times do we shoot ourselves in the foot with penalties and discipline and all that stuff? It's killed us all year. Another thing you got to get on hypo with. I mean, that the penalties was never an issue under O'Leary. We were one of the best teams in the league. Say what you want about coached about George, but he, he ran a tight ship and it show it on the field so we got to get back to that somehow well let's talk about really quickly where we are where we go from here where we are next um so a couple of things that at least we know are on the horizon obviously anthony tucker left the program he's now at utah state so we have a hole in the coaching staff um so that's hopefully hypo's first uh you know first responsibility is figuring out what to do with that right who do we bring in who's available what do we want to do there uh secondly i think a lot of folks are, are asking and, and i think matt mirichel kind of asked the Asked the direct question during the game, or at least during the post game. He, he asked directly, you know, Josh, what do you are you thinking about making any changes to the defense? Um, this may surprise you, Mike. I will didn't really answer that question. Uh, he kind of sidestepped it. So I think that's the next thing too is people looking at you know uh, the defensive side of the football. Obviously, Randy Shannon, the contracts much bandied about. I think at this point, Mike, he's getting one million a year. I think there's some language at some point that that you know makes it. He he's owed a retention bonus. I think it is in February. So. Obviously, there's there's a time. Obviously, signing period's already taken place, uh, and so I guess those are the two next looming decisions, right, Mike? Is what do we do with the offensive position that's available to us now, and uh, and how does Hypel retool or, or does he retool at all his defensive staff? Well, we know one guy that wants to get on the staff, right? <laughs> we spent some time with him yesterday, and I think he'd be a good addition. We all want to see former Knights back on on campus coaching. Yeah. We got a guy right there, Ryan Schneider, wants to get back in there. Get him in there. He can recruit. He knows a lot of people. He's worked for some big-time programs in the state of Florida, St. Thomas Aquinas, a university school, American Heritage. He's doing a good job over in Cocoa right now. 
get him on the staff. And that's the, that's where it all starts is with the recruiting. Yeah. And we got Shannon. If you're talking about getting rid of Shannon, you need somebody that can get down in Miami and start getting these guys in here. What did we sign? Five guys from the state of Florida this year. That's got to change. So, I mean, uh, I think it starts with recruiting, and then you got guys that want to be here, guys that are from UCF that want to be part of the program and really care about the program. Yeah, I think yeah, absolutely. I think you hit it on the head. There's two things, right? Schneider checks a lot of those boxes just from his, you know, his his. Uh, his stature in the state of Florida. I think that's that's key is is finding that guy who can go and recruit Florida and and bring those guys in. Um, you know, Shannon obviously is that for the defense, but we talk about this all the time. Like you, you bring this point up every time, and it's so spot on. Is we need someone who's kind of a holistic, you know, um, coach of the program, not a coach of the defense, coach of the offense. I don't know how involved Randy is on offensive guys coming from from South Florida or coming from sort of that the, the Florida area. Um, but, you know, obviously I, I would assume most of his, his recruits are on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and so could could we use a guy like that? You think about Sean Becton, who was just money going down to Miami and getting some of those kids and money going up to, to Jackson and getting some of those kids, right? Like, wh- who's that guy in our staff? And if we have an opportunity to, to fill that now, with all due respect to, to uh, Coach Golesh, obviously he's, he's from Iowa. He, he's, you know, he doesn't have a ton of ties to Florida. Um, and so does, does that help to understand why, why we've kind of taken our search national? Not that that's a bad thing in, 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 you know, of itself, but, um, do we need some of that local stuff where a guy like a Schneider or even guys still affiliated with the program, man, like I know Henshaw probably isn't, um, you know, hasn't been in Florida in a long time, but he, you know, he recruited Florida uh, a little bit from Kentucky. I know he, he got our former quarterback from our high school, Cardinal Gibbons, uh, to go to Kentucky. So, you know, he, he obviously knows something, right. But, um, you'd love to see us either bring back somebody from heritage, our heritage and UCF or bring back somebody with some really good recruiting guys. Right. We missed the guys like Becton and Kevin Smith that were part of building this program. They have money in the game and they, UCF is their love. They would love to come back and help this program get back to where it needs to be. Who do we have on the staff now that really has that connection to UCF? And we got rid of all those guys. I think we need some of that back. So, And we have to attack Florida. Orlando and Tampa area, the I-4 corridor, has too many talented kids to not be signing that many kids from Florida. And South Florida is just loaded with talent between Broward and Palm Beach and Dade. I mean, you can find a whole Division One team down there. And we're not getting that many guys. So it's something like that. Something's got to change from that. Well, I, I mean, I guess we'll learn a lot about what Hypo is willing to do, right? With these, with these moves, obviously there is one opening that he can fill. Uh, if he goes after somebody kind of dynamic or goes after somebody that has, uh, you know, some of the things that we're talking about, I think we'll see kind of where his head's at. Or if he kind of pulls from within. Not again. This is where it sucks, man. Because I'm sure there's some guys who've been working on that staff. Mitch Militello is a QB coach. Like I'm sure there's a bunch of guys, or the, sorry, QB grad assistant. I think I'm sure there's a bunch of guys on that staff right now who work their ass off. I probably deserve a promotion, right? Um, and and while I certainly want to make sure those guys get that opportunity, you also kind of wonder, okay, should 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 we go out and try to find somebody with more of uh, of sort of the things that we're looking for? And then what does he do with defense? You know, does does Randy stay around? Is this his opportunity to say, hey, I I want a total team approach. I don't want an offensive coach and a defensive coach. I want a total team approach. I want to bring in somebody else. Um, you know, again. I think there's speculation there. Obviously, you heard the fire Randy chant uh, uh, got started up for a while there, Mike, at the game. Um, so, you know, obviously, I think that that hopefully is, is 
something that the hypo will look at and figure that part of it out. But I guess we'll see where his head's at with some of these two decisions because the, they loom large, I think, as you think about 2021. The staff obviously needs a couple of new guys. And what these guys bring is going to be huge. And it's going to play a big part in how this program goes forward. So I mean, we need somebody that knows the local area and somebody that has, I think, we should have a guy that has a tie to the school. Well, those are two uh, looming things that are coming up, at least football-wise. Obviously, um, you know, it's it's the offseason. Uh, there's still a lot of bowl stuff going on, a lot of coach openings here and there. Uh, so we'll, we'll see kind of how the coaching carousel goes. We could get guys plucked from our staff. Obviously, we could we could move on from some guys. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I think it's interesting. No, I think Randy's contract is up, Mike, if I have that right. Uh, so I guess this is either a re-sign or walk-away situation. So uh, we'll keep a close eye on, on all that stuff. But, uh, again, kind of bow on this thing. The Boca Bowl sucked. Uh, and uh, – you know, there, there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff that you know if you look back objectively that we got to get right, uh, and we'll we'll obviously be here to chronicle you know those those moves uh, leading into the next nine months through spring ball and hopefully into the kickoff in September. But uh, coming up, we'll take a quick break here, Mike. We'll come back. We'll do some UCF observations. Uh, we were at the game, so we didn't take as many diligent notes as maybe we normally do, but uh, we still got some stuff for you. So let's hit this commercial, and uh, we'll come right back. All right, thanks for listening to that uh, that wonderful commercial. Uh, Mike, we've got UCF observations, and by we, I mean you. Uh, you've taken some diligent notes throughout the game. I saw your pen and pad out the entire game, or there that may or may not have been a Modelo. I couldn't really tell. But either way, uh, let's do some uh, some of our UCF observations. Mike, what do you got? The Sons of UCF hats were the best thing that happened yesterday. That is the best thing. We've, we're getting a lot of messages on on what merch situations, and I don't think we prepared. Hey, so let me just uh, all kudos to Mike. This was a complete and and total uh, sort of surprise uh, by Mike. Uh, we had talked about it a long time ago. We should do some merch, but we're we're typically pretty apathetic around here, so I don't think either one of us really did much with that. And then uh, I go traipsing into our uh, our pregame meetup, and uh, and there's Mike wearing a Suns UCF hat. I looked at it and I was like, huh. Mike's got a Suns UCF hat. <laughs> that's odd. And I remember looking at it like, huh, I wonder how that's interesting. And, you know, I wasn't going to be like, hey, man, what's with the hat? I figured out, let's, let's keep it moving here. And all of a sudden you're like, bro, look at the hat. And I'm like, yeah, I, I noticed the hat. And then, you know, Mike comes out of his duffel bag of fun with just a, a stack of hats. So uh, so we got to figure that out, Mike. There was some, you know, some folks were interested in that. Trace is, is clamoring for one. I saw, I think it was J.P. Gilbert asked a question. So we, we got a lot of hat uh, commentary throughout the evening. You get a hat, you get a hat. Everybody gets a hat. I was handing them out like Santa Claus yesterday. Uh, there's limited amounts made. I guess we could have more made. They seem to be a hot item. Yeah. But uh, they're, they're pretty cool, man. Yeah, I like them. They came out good. I was impressed with the way they came out. And um, maybe we'll have to make a few more. I'm sending one to our guy that won the, the Pick'em Challenge. So that's going to be part of his prize. Nice. And maybe we'll have, we can give out a couple other ones. I, have, I still have a few left over. All right. But, uh, well, yeah, you have to earn these hats. Earn, well, I mean, earn earn the hats. You know, uh, uh, maybe rates, reviews, something like that. You know, we'll figure that out. Uh, but yeah, hats were a good touch, buddy. Good, good job out of you. Thanks. I'm glad you like them. Uh, meeting some of our fans was also a cool part of the day. Yeah, yeah. We, a bunch of guys who came up to us. 
Yeah, a couple of guys, I don't know who they were. We You ended up talking to one guy for a while. I'm not sure if you know who he was. He didn't know who we were, so that was awkward. Um, so fan, I used to use that loosely. But uh, we got a chance to, to say hi to Jen and Britt really quickly, um, who have obviously been uh, listening to the show for a while, huge supporters of the show. Uh, you know, we, we love always interacting with those two, so it was great to get a chance to meet them. You met your guy, Barry Addict. I was on the other side of the stadium. We were doing the pregame. Uh, you were all the way on the other side, and, and you met Barry Addict over there, which was cool. Um, he's, uh, he's obviously uh, somebody who's always commenting and always listening to the show. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was cool. We, we met some guys at the, at the Hooters. We met Andrew at the Hooters. Uh, so he's the guy, if you're ever at the games, who's in the full space uniform, we met that guy. Uh, and so we, uh, it was, it was fun to run into some people, uh, who, uh, you know, we've, we've seen, or we've interacted with socially, uh, via social media to, to get to meet him in person. All right. These are the guys, there's a reason why we still do a show because if there was nobody listening, then what the hell would be the point of this? But these guys enjoy it, and uh, it was good to get to know a couple of them. And hopefully, now in the future, we'll get to meet a few more of you guys. Which so, is uh, even so. Here's a, here's a funny story. Well, I think you and I were kind of talking off the side, but my uh, my wife and her friend, they were roommates at UCF. Uh, her friend found another girl that she had known at UCF, and so she brought her over to say hi to my wife and hey, how are you? Good to see you. Yada yada yada. yada. And somehow they got to talking about the Sims UCF, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I listen to those guys." And my wife's friend Kristen was like, "Yeah, that's them right there." And she was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, it's those two, those two idiots right there. Yeah, that's the sons of UCF. And she was like, oh, my God, I didn't know. Like, I listen to that show all the time. And my, Stephanie, my wife's like, yeah, it's my husband. Uh, so uh, even even when we uh, people didn't know who we were, we met a few fans. I think she actually walked away with a hat. I think Kristen may have given her her hat. So she got a lovely a lovely parting <laughs> gift for uh, for coming anywhere near the sons of UCF. Actually, one of the – I wrote up with my friend Ricky and then a couple other people. One of the other people – I mean, Ricky knows I do this show, but the, one, the girl that was with them – She's like, what? Uh, she saw the hats. And she's like, something you said? She's like, yeah, listen to it. So then he's like, that's Mike. He, he's one of the sons. She's like, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> she, she didn't even know my first name. She knew, they just called me Espo from uh, that whole group of people. And he's like, I didn't know that. I listened to you guys too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, we, have, we have a face for radio, Mike. What can I tell you? <laughs> uh, we are a basketball at school now. Once again, basketball is back. Nice win versus Cincinnati, a huge win over against Florida State over the weekend, and now I followed that up with the first win in conference play this uh, yesterday. So we may be ranked in the top twenty-five soon. Yeah, what's interesting is we had said that we um, again we didn't play against Oklahoma. We had, uh, but essentially we had Oklahoma, Auburn, Michigan, Houston, Florida State, Cincinnati. We had said that we want to come uh, if we came three and three out of that run that we would be ecstatic. We didn't play Oklahoma, so that was a wash. We beat Auburn, lost to to Michigan. Didn't play Houston, uh, and then uh, so Florida and Cincinnati. So essentially, we uh, we we kind of went you know, two and one, uh, three and one in that stretch of games that we said we would be happy going three and three. And so I know we lost two to the uh, to the COVID stuff, but uh, definitely a fantastic start for the hoops team. Yeah, well, we do play Houston next, yep. so that's still part of it, I guess. At worst, three and two. Houston is ranked. What are they? Are they number four? They're six right, right. now. And they're six. And good news yeah. is, by the way, if you haven't heard, um, so that game is now going to be at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern on ABC on Saturday. It was supposed to be a 2 o'clock ESPN2 game. We've been bumped up to the big channel. So 1 p.m. ABC Saturday, uh, UCF Houston. I think our first time ever on ABC for basketball. That's true. So I mean, We've seen it now a bunch of times for football, but pretty cool. Uh, could, our basketball I mean, team like, is- could this be pregame show worthy, live pregame show worthy? I don't know. We should think about it. 
Saturday. Uh, I don't think I have anything else going on. It's possible. I mean, we got Trace Chalco on the ready. He 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 manned the show for us while we were down in Boca. I mean, we we, we got options. Stay tuned. You may get a live pregame show. Who knows? All right, all right. Let's get this thing rolling. Yeah. I was happy to give up the first touchdown because the team that scored the first touchdown actually lost eight of the nine games this year. So I thought that was a good thing at the time. I, 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 in, inside again, Mike and I don't watch games together. Obviously, we don't talk on the phone during games because it just would be annoying if we did that. By the way, but um, so we're down like twenty one nothing, and Mike looks at me and goes, I, "We got him right where we want him. I'm, I'm good with it. I'm fine." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" And you were you were you were dead you were dead serious on you were you were all kinds of good with twenty one nothing, and I was like, "Bro, it doesn't look like we're gonna come back." You're like, "No, this is it. Twenty one nothing. This is exactly. I'm, I'm fine. I actually want to be down early. You were you convinced yourself, and and almost almost me for a moment there that being down twenty one nothing was a good thing. But it turned out it wasn't. By the way, <laughs> oh yeah, that was my next point. Because even down fourteen nothing, I was okay. There was still fifty five minutes to play in the game. Right? Like I said, <laughs> that's how bad that was. By the way, <laughs> it was fourteen nothing quick. And I said, you know, I've seen teams go down fourteen nothing millions of times and come back to win. The one that really jumps out at me is that first time we were ever ranked and we played. Uh, we lost to Southern Miss. We jumped out on them fourteen nothing, like it was nothing, and then they just beat us up the rest of the day. Uh, I've seen it happen a bunch of times. I wasn't scared at fourteen nothing. Twenty one nothing. I don't remember. I, I started having flashbacks of the Pittsburgh game, or twenty eight nothing at least, whatever it was, or twenty eight seven. The Pittsburgh game. Remember that game. It was just a debacle from the beginning. And they returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. I think there was a fumble, and they scored another touchdown, an interception, another touchdown. That got ugly quick. That's why I was kind of – once things started going that way yesterday, that's what was popping into my head. Yeah, you, yeah. you were convinced. You almost had me convinced, but turns out, <laughs> turns out it didn't work out that way. Well, sometimes I'd rather be the one down 14 than up 14 when it's that early because I've seen so many teams come back that way. But it didn't work out. And at 35-10 at halftime, it was an embarrassment. I think we get the ball to start the second half. I think maybe we can show some fight. Is it still possible? I have 25 points. It's happened before. I wasn't giving up all hope, but I was on the edge there. And then 14 more points to make it 49-10. I'm going down to the bench and giving Hypo the business. You were at, you were yeah you were at the bench. The business was being given. Uh, some some lucky folks probably got a, a bird's or an ears. Uh, I don't know what you call it. A bird's eye ear of of that business. Yeah, thirty five ten. If we score coming out of halftime, thirty five seventeen. We get one stop, thirty five twenty four. I mean, we're we're in shouting distance, right? I think you would have felt you know the momentum would have at least helped you feel good about where we were. But again, it just wasn't meant to be. It just seemed like we were we were just out of it from the start, and then Hypel. Uh, I don't know if he heard your earful. I know a few people down there heard your earful. Uh, uh, clearly didn't work. Maybe he'd fired him up for the uh, for the you know post game press conference. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it got it, uh, it got ugly and uh, on the field and in the stands. <laughs> I don't think I made many fans down there. Uh, maybe some guys are not going to come on the show in the future because of the things I said. But that's what happens when you mix in a bunch of Mandelos. There you go. Um, this was the worst performance since the winless season in 2015. We just set ourselves back half a decade. Uh, <laughs> that's the feeling I had after this game. Yeah. It's, it was bad. I mean, it's not going to erase the 2017 season and 2018 all that good, but, man, where do we go from here? I, I don't know. A lot I mean, of, at this rate, go ahead. A lot of work to be done. Yeah, a lot of work yeah. to be done. At this rate, next year, we'll be a 6-6 six and six football team. And... 
So I mean, bowl, we're bowl, that's bowl we're eligible, bowl eligible, right? We got that going for us. <laughs> okay, but then by the year after that, we'll be down to three and three and uh, nine or whatever it is. So it's not trending well right now. And if we go six and six, I mean. I mean, did you think we were going to lose four games? We didn't even play four No, I'm games. saying if we go six, six and six, I, I, uh, Hypo might be a nice enough guy, but if we go six, he doesn't survive six and six next year. I, I don't know I don't what know he. he I, I, I don't know what he survives. Yeah, I don't know if he survives three or more losses. Even three might be pushing it. Yeah, uh, three losses. Well, it depends, I guess, which games it is. But if he's not contending for the conference championship, if he's not, if we're not at least in the championship game, because you could lose, you could lose the Boise State game, you could lose the Louisville game, and you, you know maybe one conference game. That's three losses, but you still win the conference. I mean, then he'd still have hope. But uh, losing, not contending for the championship next year is his way out. Yeah, deal breaker. Yeah, that's a deal breaker. I imagine if I die and go to hell, I would be forced to watch this game on an endless loop. Speaking of hell, Don Williams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's very possible, yeah. I mean, that, that, if you had to pick a game where you would not want to watch it on an endless loop from UCF, this, would this be it or would it be 64-12? Oh. Well, yeah, sixty-four. Yeah. It, this is the only sixty-four. Twelve is the worst of worst. And this one, though, I mean, we've taken a lot of beatings, in our time. <laughs> <We> especially <have. laughs> especially going back to our early days in '99 and 2000, 2001. We took some bad losses. I just talked to you about the the Pittsburgh game. It was fifty-one to seven or whatever that game was. Um, Virginia Tech beat the crap out of us a couple times. The Gators with forty-two nothing on us once. That was pretty bad. Um, some really bad losses. The whole 2015 season, we seem to give up forty-plus points every week. <laughs> and and this one's right up there, man. Yeah. Forty-nine, twenty-three, and they took it easy on us in the fourth quarter. They didn't do anything. They didn't score a point in the fourth quarter. They still scored forty-nine points. Completely took their foot off the gas. I think. They ended the game on a seven-minute, eight-minute drive. Where I mean, if they really wanted to, they could have scored three more touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you know, they they could have put up sixty on us. And I guess the Mormons, being the nice people that they are, decided that we had had enough. So if I heard you right, you said we shut them down in the fourth quarter. Way to way to go, UCF. <laughs> uh, UCF difference. I think the difference between you know this game and those games is expectations. Right, I think you know back in the day, you know we we just want to be competitive against some of those teams, right? We we knew we were going to lose, but we got hyped up to go watch us play some of those games, and you know, and and obviously they never turned out well. But this is a game I think going into it, we felt like we had an opportunity that we we could be competitive and we could even we could win this thing. Um, I know we weren't, I don't think we were favorite in a lot of places, but we, I think we all felt like we had an opportunity, and and I think that's the big difference is in some of those earlier games we were just kind of hoping and hoping that we would win and we'd play well, we make some noise and. We, you know, we have a 2000 Alabama type upset in some of those games, but this was a game I think we expected to be competitive and be close. And, you know, I don't know that everyone thought we'd win it hands down, but that we'd be close enough to, you know, to be in a spot to win it. And the only time we were close to winning it is the opening kickoff. <laughs> We've been much bigger underdogs before. Yeah, we were underdogs, but I think it was only six and a half points going into yesterday. And we've won games as much bigger underdogs. Obviously, the Baylor game and the Auburn game and games like that were. You know, we expected to win those games, and we did. And this one, I don't know if everybody expected to win, but like you said, a lot of us expected us to at least put up a good fight and be in the game. And <laughs> by the national anthem, the thing was over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 
Ah, yeah. It's a crappy way to end the year. Well, don't worry, because we're going to fix that. Coming up next, uh, it, it's a, it's an ode to a holiday tradition, uh, and we're going to do it up Sons of UCF style. Uh, so sit tight and, uh, and, and don't go anywhere. You'll enjoy it. Sons of UCF. We'll be right back. This is UCF head coach Josh Heupel, and I go 1-0 every week with my guys Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Charge on. Go Knights. All right, it's a, it's a holiday tradition, um, and and so those of us here at the Sons of UCF, if you don't if you don't know, um, big Seinfeld fans used to watch a lot of Seinfeld in college. We usually have that thing on TBS. It was on like all all the time anyway. Uh, big Seinfeld fans, and as we record this, Mike, it is December twenty third, uh, which uh, if you know Seinfeld in the Seinfeld lore, Mike, that means today is what. Festivus. It's a festivus for the rest of us. It's the festivus day. Is uh, obviously it's the holiday that George's father created. Uh, it involves some sort of a poll and whatnot. And uh, the 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 big monumental moment of festivus is the airing of the grievances. So I could explain it to you, or let me just play this cut really quickly from uh, from the show, and I'll let the uh, Frankistans of the late great uh, Jerry Stiller uh, give you his own interpretation of it. The tradition of festivus begins. With the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. All right, so we got a lot of problems with you people. So this is UCF Festivus. This is airing of the grievances, Mike. This is 2020 grievances. We've got grievances. We've got things on our mind. It's the holiday time. Let's let's air out some of our grievances. Are you ready to air out grievances? <laughs> I can't wait for this. this is, I know. I've been waiting all day. All right, here's, here's my first grievance, Mike. Uh, my first grievance is special teams play. All year long, it just feels like we have not gotten squat done on special teams. We have we have almost no return game to speak of. Uh, we don't even try half the time to make returns. Don't even get me started on the kicking game. Obviously, we understand the Obarski stuff. Osteen is solid. He's pretty good. I mean, I've, every punter has a flub or two. But our special teams, man, I know we, we harp on this over and over and over again. It just feels like, what are, what are we... You know, Hypel says all three phases of the game. Is, this, is there another third phase I'm not aware of? Because I feel like he's he's got a third phase that we don't know about. <laughs> Special teams has uh, it sucked. It has sucked for the last few years now. And if you want to talk about making changes on the staff or whatever, uh, this guy Toth hasn't done anything to impress me. Special teams is something that we used to change the game on. It used to be one of the big things in our favor under O'Leary. You talked about the hidden yardage all the time. We had great returners all the time. We never really gave up big kick returns. I don't remember. Other than that one Pittsburgh game that I'm talking about, the opening kickoff, I don't remember too many teams returning kicks on us. But we always had a bunch of guys that could return kicks for touchdowns. We haven't seen that now since Mike Hughes. The punt return game hasn't been great either. Otis had the big one last year against Pittsburgh, but other than that, there hasn't been much. And he's had some issues with fumbles too. And And this year we had a couple of issues, I think, with fumbles. Uh, the kicking game, my God, Obarski. I'm sorry, but the, we got to get another kicker in here. I think for next year, he did not do any himself any favors this year. The kicks out of bounds last year. It was a big joke and everything, and he did it again this year. And then missing field goals and extra points and game winners. I mean, what else are we? <laughs> what else can we do? So yeah, you're right. The special teams, something's got to be completely revamped on that side of the ball. Yeah, again, I don't know what it is. And I don't even need touchdowns, right? I get the Mike Hughes thing is a once-in-a-moment opportunity, right? And, and to, it's a historic play for UCF. But you, you said it perfectly, the hidden yards. 
you know, you get an extra 10, 15 yards on, on special teams, right? That moves us closer on a drive that makes it, you know, maybe we get different plays in the playbook. But when we're always starting from our own 11 or 9 or 7 uh, because we fair caught a punt or because, you know, uh, we, we, you know, didn't even make an effort or return, you know, it's just it, it, it. We just need those yards back, man. And I'm not saying Toth needs to go, but I'm not saying he doesn't. <laughs> so uh, my first grievance <laughs> is, uh, is is special teams. Uh, my next grievance: What are we doing with these targeting rules? I don't even understand what we're doing with this stuff sometimes. So uh, I, uh, I I noticed during the first part of the game that uh, Paulo wasn't uh, wasn't playing. And I had forgotten, uh, hat tip to Brian Murphy, who pointed out on Twitter, that he got ejected um, in the second half of the cow game for, I don't I think it was fighting. I think he hit somebody, actually. Um, and because of that, he wasn't eligible for the first half of this game. That game was like a month ago. Like, what? there's got to be a better way to do this kind of stuff. And then Devon Wilson. I mean, I get that uh, there's, there's intent. You know, there's letter of the law. There's spirit of the law. I mean, the, the kid was diving out of bounds. Devon Wilson was diving to try to make a play. Uh, and obviously their, their heads made contact. It wasn't a malicious intent. It wasn't like he lowered his head to try to hit the guy. I think he was trying to get him out of bounds. You know, did he get closer to the head and neck area? Sure. Should we keep player safety at, at a at a premium? Yes, we should. But I mean, what are we doing with these targeting rules and what's targeting and what's not targeting? You're missing half a game. So if you first play the second half, if you if you target somebody, you basically miss a, a full game because you miss that that whole the rest of that half, and then you miss the first half of the next game that you play in. We got to figure something better out. Targeting, I've just grievances all over the place. Targeting is one of the dumbest rules that they've come up with in the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, it's almost impossible to determine whether somebody's doing it on purpose. I mean, how many times do you see somebody go to tackle somebody and the other guy lowers their head and he ends up hitting them that way and he gets called for targeting. It's so stupid and the way they penalize it is stupid too. Uh, I guess you can't find these guys. Maybe that's why they do it this way. In the NFL, there's a fine, right? But you're not suspended for the first half of the next game. Yeah. Okay, if you, if you want to say it's egregious, Mike, kick the guy out of the game. But then he loses half of the next game too. And I get, I get the point of like the last play of the game. What, what prevents somebody from going up and just, you know, just just diving at somebody's head and just to take him out of the game, right? Well, then you, you suspend that guy for longer, right? That's what conference commissioners are here for. If something like that happens, you suspend that kid for like three games for doing something like a, a dirty, malicious act like that, right? Like, I, I don't understand the carryover to the next week or the next. In this case, when when was the Cal game? Like a month ago. Uh, we played on Black Friday, right? So literally like three weeks ago, Paulo is still serving that suspension from three weeks ago. I mean, it's just, can't, can't he just like run gasters at practice or something like that to call it even? Like, we just got to do better. I don't even. And then Devon Wilson, we, I mean, we were already thin in the secondary. Losing him early on in the game did us no favors at all. Yeah, it's got to be more of a common sense thing. Uh, suspending somebody a month later, yeah, okay, you can't find him. Make him do community service or do something else. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Service, I love it. <laughs> but I mean, to suspend somebody a month later is dumb. The whole rule is dumb. Makes no sense. All right, here's my here's my next one. Uh, Josh Heupel and his coach speak. I it's I look. I know we make fun of it. We have the Heupel translator, and I know he's not going to change it. And I understand why he doesn't change it. And and I get all that stuff, Mike. But uh, it, I feel like he just does himself no favors. I feel like. As much as the fan base is frustrated with him just by what happens between the white lines, if he was a little bit different at the podium or in in front of the microphone or whatever, I feel like he could earn himself a couple of brownie points here and there. But he he does himself no favors with the coach speak stuff. He never gives you a straight answer. Um, you know, he, everything's all cloak and dagger, hidden mystery type stuff. Um, 
so I, I don't, yeah, I like, so BYU, so here's the thing, like, let's say we had some guys who were missing practice for COVID, right? I understand those HIPAA violations and all that stuff, but if he was like, hey, we got some guys who are out this week for contact tracing, it isn't like BYU was going to be like, okay, now we're really going to get them. Like, th- clearly that didn't work because we didn't tell them anything and they still stomped us. So th- this whole Josh Heupel coach speak stuff, man, I get that you want to keep some stuff close to the vest or whatever, but uh, uh, grievances, I got grievances with that. <laughs> I've completely stopped watching all the press conferences. I, don't, I can't even tell you the last time I watched a hypo press conference because there's nothing to get out of those. And the questions there are a bunch of softballs, and he doesn't tell you anything. What, what are the what is the point of these things? Just, we're obligated to do them. I mean, I don't expect him to go all Mike Leach on us. That would be great. That Mike Leach is just an entertaining guy, but he'll go off on stuff that. You didn't even ask him that question. You know, just give you a 10-minute ramble on something else, which is pretty funny. But at least something. Give us something uh, as fans. And you're right. Show a little personality. Maybe people wouldn't get on you as much. I think he's got to open up a little bit. He's probably got it in him. Who knows if he does? We haven't seen it yet. But I would think he can't be that boring as a person in real life. Uh, who would know? I mean, I feel like he, maybe he's not, but again, I, I understand you don't want to tell us what coverage you're going to run in the second quarter. You know, if they go into, you know, into trips, right. I get it. Like I don't need all that, but you know, at least give give us something. Talk about a Talk about a player. Talk about something like have, um, have something. I will, I will give him a little credit for something. He did something this past week that I actually did not expect he would do, um, which maybe shows you a little bit about him. Uh, he was asked about the, uh, the recent transfers who are not playing um, Deontay Marks, and Jane Francois, he he let everyone know that Deontay Marks was indeed eligible, although he didn't get off the sideline against uh, against BYU for whatever reason. And then he said that Jane Francois was not eligible because Nebraska would not release him from his uh, national letter of intent. Hypo is usually never that direct. I think that's the, that's one of the first times he's taken like a really direct approach and, and maybe a little shot across the bow at old Scotty Boy over there. Because um, I did not expect that to, that to come out of his mouth, but he, he basically said, "Hey, we want to play him, but Nebraska won't let him out." Which again, I want to see more of that stuff, right? Because that that became a rallying cry around Free Jaden was was tr- not trending, but it was on Twitter for a little bit. You know, people were getting on Frost and all that other stuff. Like at least gave you in, in some insight, and I think the fan base has kind of rallied around that. Um, versus like, well, you know, when guys will play when they'll play, when they're, they're in between the grass, the white lines, all the comp, you know, they're competing and all this other nonsense that no one wants to hear. If you give you something, like, I think we'll do something with it. That's, you know, I think that the Jaden thing was a perfect example of that. The only other one time he actually said anything was the, did we ever leave thing? Yeah. And we made freaking t-shirts on. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's true. I have one. Yes. Said something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, open it up a little bit. Hypo. It's not going to kill you. We're not asking you to, you tell us exactly what's coming, but give us something. At least make those things watchable. All right, this is a UCF Mike special, right? Um, so next grievance, uh, grievance. Having two different head coaches, essentially. Having a head coach of the defense and having a head coach of the offense, right? I think it's no secret. It feels like Randy runs the defensive side, Josh runs the offensive side, and then Josh just decides when we go for it on third and fourth down uh, and why we kick field goals at, at that point when we're down by that much, but who knows. Uh, it, it feels like that's kind of how that works out, Mike. Um, and so one of my grievances, let, let's get a total team coach. Let's get a head coach of the entire team. Let's get somebody who's watching the entire team, making decisions for the entire team, recruiting both sides of the ball, playing on both you know, sides of the ball in the, in the, in the film room and all that good stuff, you know, let's really, and, and this is some of it's a, an assumption on my part, but it just feels like we're not united. Uh, so let's, let's air a grievance here. Let's get one uh, collective team approach. This has been my one thing I've been saying for the last three years when Hypo got hired. I don't like when coaches only manage one side of the ball. Um, and that's exactly how it's been. 
and that leads to division on the team. Who knows how much he actually works with the defensive guys? I don't think he, it's much. And who knows? How, and well, hey, FYI, we wouldn't know because he wouldn't tell us even if he did. If he spent an entire <laughs> practice playing nose tackle, we, he's probably big enough, by the way, uh, we would never know. Like, he would never say anything about it. It would never come out. It would have to be out on this show like three years later when we finally convince, you know, you know Tatum Bethune to come on with us and he tells us all these cool Hypel stories. We're like, oh, we didn't know that because Hypel, you know, sure as hell ain't going to share it with us. But go yeah. ahead. I can tell you. It wasn't completely his fault because I think that was the stipulation when he took the job that he – basically had to take it with Randy Shannon as the defensive coordinator. And I think that's proven to be a bad idea now. And I understand why Danny White wanted to do it because as a first-time head coach and all the pressure that was going to be on him, and you had somebody like Randy Shannon who had experience and has been a head coach before, I, I think it was it seemed like a good idea at the time. But I, I, I never like it when the head guy is not in charge of everything. He's got to be in charge of everything. And that means he's got to give up play calling duties and delegate stuff to other guys and trust his other assistants to do things like that. I I prefer a head coach to do that and be in charge of everything and make the big decisions, you know, decide whether we're going to go for it, decide whether when we call timeout, manage the game, but not micromanage the offense and have some more say in the defense. And I think that's got to change now going forward. Yeah, you wonder how that you know how that plays on you know the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I'm sure all, all the all the kids respect the coaching staff, right? But you know, do, do the defensive guys you know if they know they essentially quote unquote report to Randy? Um, and I'm making that that up. I don't know that it's an assumption. You know, w- what does that mean when Hypel says something? Right? Are they just like ah, I know who told you that coach Hyper Coach Shannon? Oh, it's Coach Shannon. Okay, cool. Like you just wonder how that how that plays. And maybe we're making a bigger deal out of this. Maybe to your point, this is like the closest knit team in the history of mankind, and we we sound foolish right now. Um, but uh, from the outside looking in, it doesn't always feel that way. So either a tell us that or B, uh, you know, show us that, um, the next one for me, Mike, is probably less about the actual players and the coaching staff, more about the fans. Uh, my grievance is, can we stop with the Scott Frost, Josh Heupel comparisons, please? It just, it does us no good. I don't know what we're going to achieve from that. The only reason I would say we can, we, we could or should do that comparison. If we fired Frost to hire Heupel, then I think it'd be fair to go, hey, you know what? The guy we let go, look how good he's doing. And the guy we, we brought in, look how bad he's doing. Frost left us. He didn't, you know, we, we wanted him to stay. He did not want to stay. He left us. He, he did what he did in his two years here. Obviously, it's it's going to be, you know, program-defining stuff. Hopefully, that, that transcends for years and years and years and years. But comparing him and Hypo just doesn't do us any good. They're two different teams or two different coaches or two different times of, of history. It's just it's so hard to compare that kind of stuff um, and to assume that one coach will be doing better and one coach will be doing worse and and so on and so forth. I think we just waste a lot of energy on that nonsense because it's it, there's there's literally nothing we can do about it. I think so many people romanticize the Frost era as more than it actually was. Yes, we went undefeated, but you could have easily lost some of those games. The Cal game, I mean, those guys were driving down the field on us again. If it wasn't for that fumble, who knows? We may lose that game. The the Memphis game the following week. That guy hits a field goal at the end of the game. We were not even in the Peach Bowl. And the year before, yeah, it was a big turnaround. That's the other thing that people give him a lot of credit for is the turnaround and stuff. But the turnaround was with a lot of O'Leary guys too. It's not like he came in and, and built the system over four years and had all his guys. That team was a lot of O'Leary's team. So, yeah, he was good and we went undefeated. But 
was he great? Is, is, he's proven not to be a great coach now with, at Nebraska. It's not like he went there and he just hasn't turned things around over there. He's gotten worse. So how good is Frost? I mean, he was great for that year, and we all love him because we didn't lose any games. But how much was was that because of him? We could have easily lost some of those games. And then what? Yeah. We just waste a lot of our energy with that. And I get it. To your point, Mike, it's the romantic you know, element of, hey, that's the best it's ever been, so why would you not go back to the best you've ever had kind of thing? Um, but there's no guarantees that, that, you know, that that would have been what it is. And, and it, you know, there are two different coaches. And I think it, I, I think some of this has continued to just to lag over the fan base and lag over the program for a while too, right? Because I think you often hear, I think you and I are guilty of it, right? We, these are, these are frost guys and these guys are Hypel's guys. And there's always rumors going around that, you know, Hypel maybe plays favorites to his guys and, and maybe not so much to the guys that, that frost brought in. And, you know, there's, there's always this kind of that, this underlying, um, you know, thing that's out there. It, it's uh, it's funny. There's a there's a meme going around on uh, on Twitter. I think you responded to it. Um, I don't know if Probs started it first, but it was a. Uh, I saw it from Probs account, so I'll give I'll give Sean credit for it. It was uh, it was Hypo um, writing on like a play sheet. And I think yeah. someone wrote like, "What is he writing down?" Uh, and there was just a bunch of funny comments, right? But one of the comments I saw this morning was from Daryl Max Dad, and Daryl Max Dad tweeted um, what was Hypo writing down, and he wrote, "Dear DJ and McKenzie, dot dot dot." As if to say that obviously he was he was writing them a letter to come back, right? I just feel like there's always been, you know, the, the whole frost hypel thing is just kind of loomed over a little bit like a dark cloud, and it was fine when we were winning, but as as things have have turned a little bit south now, that cloud gets a little darker and darker and darker, and I just think we need to move past it at some point, right? Whether hypel stays here for another you know another year, another ten years, um, it's just at some point we got to move past it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people are never going to let it go. <laughs> And a lot of it is people that just started watching UCF in the last few years. Maybe they came on when Frost came around, and that was their guy, and they're never gonna forget it. And uh, sometimes it just sucks to be the guy after the guy, because whoever came in to replace Frost was gonna get this. You know, nothing was ever unless you go perfect yourself. There's nothing you can do about it. All right, my next grievance. Can we figure out what to do with tight ends, please? I would check this out. So last year we, we brought in three tight end recruits. Uh, we brought in uh, Marsh Warzan. We brought in Forrest. We brought in Jordan Davis. Uh, this year we, we have two coming in, Boom and, and Charlie Browder. Uh, we already had uh, Hescock here, and we had Alec Holler. We have all these tight ends, Mike, and I feel like we never know how to use them. And I know we've been harping on this from, from show to show to show to show to show, but can we can we figure we, – we bring in all these – we bring in like this one kid's like 6'7". Um, I think it's Browder. He's like a six, seven giant kid, um, athletic kid, yeah, basketball scholarship guy. Like, can we figure out how to use a tight end going forward, please? <laughs> tight end has never been a glamour position for us. Even back in the O'Leary days, they were basically just an extra offensive lineman. But with these new guys, with Frost and with Heupel, they were supposed to add a new dynamic and we get these big, tall guys that are supposed to be the next, like, Gronks, and we're going to use them and throw it in the middle of the field all the time. And we never do. I and mean, was was solid for us, but these other guys don't get that much action. And I, I don't know if it's just the scheme or what the the issue is. Hescock looks like he can play. We don't seem to utilize him that much. And you should there should be huge targets in the in the red zone. And how many times have we talked about the the red zone offense shutting down? You know, once we get inside the twenty, we don't uh, execute as well. Well, why aren't we using the the big targets in there? I don't know. All right, I got. Uh, let's see. I got. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I can probably just trim this down to uh, um, to at least one more. Uh, and this is going to be really controversial, Mike. So I'll save the uh, the best one for last. 
either we do one of two things. Either we get rid of the black and white uh, two-tone shacket or we get rid of the shacket at all. Either we go back to solid colors or no shacket at all. I got agreements with that hype. The black and white shacket just not working for us. The two, I don't want to see a black and gold uh, two-tone situation. I know Nike picks out the, the schemes and the colors or whatnot, but call up Nike and go, be like, yo, bro, I want, a, I want a solid color shacket. Or do something different hype. Go go polo. Go something. Um, the, clearly, the, the, the two-tone shacket is just not our thing. Let's just get rid of that thing. <laughs> that one's got to go. Well, if you want to say, yeah, I still I like him with the shacket because that's his thing. That's been his thing since day one. We said when he first got here, he had to have something that was his own, and he went with the shacket, which is cool and it's gotten a lot of publicity. But this year, it got really boring. Last year, at least he mixed it up every once in a while. He wore a white one, he wore a black one. This year, it's been the same black and white one the whole year, and it's been boring and it sucked. And it obviously hasn't worked for us. He needs to change it up and. He looked like he was getting into it last year. Was it last year? Was it the first game? This I think it was last year. When they did the video when he went to go pick it out of the closet and all that stuff. They were having some fun with it and everything. Yep. And now there's none of that. And, <laughs> I mean, give me some variety with the shackets. Is it comfortable? You were wearing one last night. It depends. I mean, last night actually was perfect for shacket weather because it was a little, a little chill in the air. Uh, so it, it can be a little bit like wearing a trash bag, but it's, it's heavy. It's got a bunch of layers on the inside. It's got pockets everywhere. It's got like that fishnet lining on the inside. A lot going on there. Uh, there there's two versions. So I have another version that we got um, from our good buddy Hayden Kingston who sent me his green Gasparilla Bowl from last year. That's just a thin, you know, um, almost like a T-shirt. But the one I have, which I think is the one Hypo usually wears, is, is a thicker, more quality um, shacket. So it can be comfortable. Uh, it was perfect shacket weather last night for it, but I can't imagine like in the middle of September, you know, sun beating down at a 3.30 kick at the bounce house. That thing's comfortable. Like I, I can't imagine Hype's not sweating through that bad boy. <laughs> what would you like to see him do if it wasn't shacket? If he got rid of the shacket completely, what do you think he can go with? What would be his thing? Uh, you got the spurrier, like the visor. Well, he used the word visor. His his Photoshop picture uh, on his Twitter profile from his Missouri days, which, by the way, we can't update that, um, is clearly a Missouri visor that he used to wear, Photoshop with the UCF logo. I've never seen him wear a logo. Same thing on his introductory press conference picture. When he took the pictures on the field, he's wearing a visor. He's never worn a visor at UCF. I don't think I want him in a visor. Um, here's the thing. We're going to go, and this is going to be mean, right? We're going to do the looks thing. He's a bigger guy. He looks like he's a guy who probably enjoys to play the nachos or two. So we're going to go like roomy, like sweatshirt thing, probably. Right. Um, so I feel like I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give him clothing based on his body style, which maybe isn't the the right thing to do, but hype can't pull off the, the tight polo situation. I don't, we don't need that in our lives. I don't want a t-shirt. I feel like that looks a little bit sloppy. I'm not sure what's in between there. I know Matt Rule is wearing that that hoodie thing for a while. Maybe that's him. Maybe hype with a hoodie. I don't know. Yeah, but it's too hot down here in South Florida for a hoodie. Um, Tank top, cutoffs. <laughs> I mean, what kind of guns do you think he's working with? We get get a cutoff, maybe. I mean, I don't know about that. I think the shorts. Uh, I suggested shorts on the very first episode of Sons of UCF. But you did. He's got the legs to pull off the shorts, right? Does he have some good calves? Or... I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I mean, he, he's not going to Doesn't he, he won't tell us who's playing on offense. He's not going to show us his calves. <laughs> Who was the coach? Some coach did wear shorts this year, right? Was it uh, Holgerson? Yeah, Holgerson. Yeah. Well, this was the year to experiment if you're going to do something like that. The COVID and all that stuff. But it looks like it's just going to be shacket. I'd just like to see more of a a variety with the shackets. Give me a gold shacket. Give me an anthracite jacket. We wear so many different colors and combinations for our uniforms. Why not mix up the shackets a little bit? 
wouldn't hurt him. Yeah, I don't. I mean, again, I'm if you I, again, I say go go solid colored again, right? Go back to the solids. Go back to the blacks, the whites, the anthracites, the golds. You want to mix that in the silvers. You want to get that. You know, if we're doing military and you want to do a, uh, you know, you want to do a camo one, I wouldn't suggest it, but feel free. If there's a there's a citronaut one, you can you can bust out. Have we seen a citronaut jacket? I don't think we have. No. Um, break out a citronaut. I mean, I'm not saying go canaveral blue, but. I mean, feel free to you know feel free to mix it up a little bit. I, I think we can all agree just the 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 two toned uh, did not work for us this year, and uh, I think Hypo's got a he's got a lot of things to think about. He's got a lot of decisions on his mind. Obviously, coaching staff, all that stuff. But I think right after that has got to be Shacket. Right, hey, a Nitro Head Shacket. I think he's worn that in practice before. The gold yes, one, yeah. yeah. Break that out. Like you said, such a space game Shacket. There's so many different themes that we have throughout the year. Just to have a black and white cookie jacket for the whole season kind of sucks. Right. Those well, those are the grievances. Those are at least of my grievances. I think, Mike, you're, you're you have any personal grievances you want to throw in there? No, I, I think I let them a lot of them fly last night. While I was, uh, <laughs> a couple <laughs> down of, by the bench. A couple of unnamed players and media personnel may or may not have heard of most of Mike's grievances, <laughs> and uh, we apologize in advance on behalf of the Suns UCF for any children who are around who may have been offended by said grievances. But uh, airing the grievances again, a lot of, a lot of things to to uh i guess to to think through but uh um one thing that is not a grievance right now mike is the men's hoops team uh we touched on it briefly but uh we'll take a break here we'll get into that in more detail coming up here uh we'll talk about uh hoops where we are where we're going and uh you know is this the, is this the year for us are, are we a basketball school now we'll answer that and more next on ZFCF. Mike and Adam, sons of UCF, that'll move those chains. That's good enough for another UCF first down. All right. Well, uh, if you know the the basketball team at least is giving us uh, a, a couple of good things to talk about, Mike. I know we. I don't think we were quite certain what to make of this team coming in the season. We'd we'd hope that they would you know be young and, and athletic and compete. And uh, and so far that's that's been true um, as we sit here today, Mike. Like we we talked about earlier, uh, we've we've had a bunch of games canceled. So Oklahoma canceled, uh, and the Houston game on the fifteenth was was rolled back essentially until uh, until this weekend. So we haven't played all the games that we were slated to play. But uh, a win against Auburn, a, a, a just a barnstorming against Michigan. But then we rebounded, Mike. In the last uh, since the last time you and I talked, Saturday night, the Knights headed up to Tallahassee to face a 15th ranked Florida State team who was wearing blue for some reason. We'll get into that later. Um, and in a game where most people assume this would just be a, an FSU cakewalk, the Mackenzie Milton revenge game. The good guys come out on top. UCF 86-74. Mike Brendan Mahan out of his mind, 32 points, including most importantly for me, 10 of 10 from a free throw line. He had 26 points in the second half. UCF kind of wins that handily, Mike. I mean, we were we were not playing um, maybe the best in the first half, but second half uh, came out and, and played really well and uh, and put a put an upset win on the board over the Seminoles. This game started a lot, a lot like the Michigan game, where in the first five minutes we came out hot and we were hitting our shots. And I, I was about to tweet. I didn't do it, but I was, we're the best team in the country in the first five minutes of the game. <laughs> even the Michigan game, we started out hot. And then these they took over for a little while. And we went down, I want to say 10, 12 at some point, And it looked like it was going to get ugly. But these guys kept fighting back. And then the second half came back and hung in there. And I think with 14 minutes to go, is when we took the lead back again and we never looked back and then just kept pouring it on them. And so much fun to watch some of these young guys. And Darren Green, we talked about not having a great game yet this year. He was hitting his shots on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And 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 Isaiah Adams, I am very excited to watch this kid. I can't tell you the last time a freshman has come in 
and made an impact like this guy. I, I don't know ever. He might be one of the best ones we've ever seen for uh, for the first few games of his career. Uh, just looks great. C.J. Walker looks very athletic. He can do a lot of things, cause a lot of problems, getting rebounds, he's blocking shots, uh, and Mayhan. Is it me? I don't remember him being anything special last year. He's the most improved player in the country. He looked unstoppable. Now for a few games, he's, he's looked really good. So he's putting it all together. Maybe the light just went on for him. But great start to the season. Man. I was very excited on Saturday night. Yeah, Mayan was a guy who, who he put together a few um, good games down the stretch last year. I think he, he was a guy who found himself with the ball in his hands um, towards the end of the game. Uh, he had a few uh, games, uh, you know, where he was able to at least make some plays uh, going to the going to the hoop. Um, but you're right; he's absolutely turned a switch this uh, this game. He's averaging let me check uh, 22 and a half game uh, points a game so far in the season. I obviously three games in, but yeah, he he was on fire. 26 points in that second half. To your point, Mike, it, it wasn't our, our best first half. And you got to here's the thing that's funny about a young team like this. It could go either way. Um, and kind of I guess dissimilarly to what I said about our football team and our secondary. It feels like in, in this instance, young guys are, are getting in the game. And sometimes, Mike, you, in sports, you know this, young guys don't know any better. So they don't know to be nervous. They don't know they're supposed to do this. So sometimes you get kind of that, that youthful ignorance. And I don't mean that in a bad way, where they're just out there playing ball. And that's kind of what you what it feels like you're seeing from, from Adams and from C.J. Walker is they're just out there making plays. They're flying around. They're getting deflections. They're blocking shots. They're getting steals. Um, you know, uh, Dre Fuller's played really solid. I know he's not a natural point guard. But he's kind of been pressed into that role uh, with Tony Johnson Jr. being out. Um, you know, that's you know one of the other things that, that UCF was was typically terrible at was turnovers. Um, at least in the in the next game we'll talk about. We 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 kept our turnovers low, only twelve against FSU. Um, they had thirteen, so at least we won the turnover battle there. But it, it was a solid performance. And even you mentioned um, CJ Walker. He's a guy. I think you know he came in. He was a you know highly recruited guy. Went to Oregon. I think we had high expectations. He hasn't really found his rhythm on offense, but I think the thing to say about him, though, is he's still figuring out ways to impact the game, right? And that's a that's a huge mark for a player. Is when, when you're struggling or maybe your offensive game isn't exactly where you want it to be at, he's still finding ways to make plays, to be on the floor, to, to get a big block, a deflection. And you said it right. Isaiah Adams is just playing like he doesn't know any better. He's just like, hey, give me the ball. I'll go to the hoop. Um, and he, he looks smooth. He looks solid. He looks athletic. He doesn't look like he's scared of the moment. And, uh, and, and it's exciting, man. This team is an exciting, exciting team to watch. And yeah, you can look at 86-74, um, and, and obviously we were down in the first half, but I feel like we, we, we broke away second half. And, you know, Florida State made a bit of a run in the end, but I, I feel like this was a solid, a solid UCF victory on Saturday. Right. And it's kind of reminding me to the start of the 2010 season. Remember, that was a very exciting team, too, with Marcus Jordan and Ramsa and Clanton and those guys. Remember, we started that year beating UConn on Thanksgiving – and then beating Miami down here in the Orange Bowl Classic, and and start, and we got ranked at the start of that year. Unfortunately, we went in the tank after that. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that was very exciting, and I'm getting the same feeling now to start this season with these young guys. Uh, Adams, man, he, he's doing everything. He, he's getting rebounds. He, he's scoring. He's driving to the hoop. He can shoot. And Green, like I said, was when he's hot, yeah. and he's hitting those threes. That just adds that other element to the team where it's very dangerous. You know, you got to pick and choose who you're going to stop. Yeah, he was six of nine from three uh, at uh, at Florida State. The only problem with Adams I have, if I, I'm going to be honest with you, Mike, I have one problem. You want to know what it is? What? He's going to go pro because he's going to be he's going to have a good freshman <laughs> year, or he's going to be gone. Right? Uh, that's really the only concern I guess you have is if he continues this, 
you know, he'll, uh, he'll probably end up getting some NBA looks and, and he'll be a one and done kind of guy. Um, because he's playing really well, but, um, but I guess that's, uh, we can worry about that in shows in March and April. But, um, so we, we rebound that game, right? We come off that and that, then we place a, a, we face a tough Cincinnati team at home. So this was Tuesday, uh, before the Boca Bowl. So a double header in UCF sports kingdom, probably tough to get both those games in, especially if you were at the stadium, we were trying to watch it on the phone as we were um, doing some stuff there. Uh, so could have been a challenge if you were there, but, uh, uh, UCF 75 Cincinnati 70, Mike back-to-back victories against teams that you and I talked about at the beginning of the year that we were a tad concerned about. Um, UCF pulls this one out. And again, your guy, Brandon Mahan, 25 points. And you'll love this, 10 rebounds. So he was doing it on the glass as well. Um, he had a huge game. Uh, again, Isaiah Adams had a big game as well. And uh, CJ, stuffed the stat line, seven points, two boards, four blocks. Again, not scoring a ton. And maybe we thought he was going to be a big-time scorer. But uh, you know, if he's able to continue to impact games like this, Mike, it's going to be fun to watch. But uh, a, a tough, hard-fought. It wasn't the prettiest game. Um, I rewatched some of it today, but uh, uh, they found a way to, to eke this one out, which is a, which was interesting because with a young team, you think this might be something that that would be an issue for them. But um, you know, they're they're kind of learning to win some of these tough games early, which is huge when you think about you know uh, later on in the season, playoffs, tournament time. You know, tough teams uh, win tough games early. This was the hardest part of our schedule. <laughs> Facing a top-ranked Florida State team in Cincinnati, we figured was going to be one of the better teams in the conference. These are huge wins for us. We've got another big, big one coming up on Saturday. If we can somehow pull out the Houston game, I mean, these are quadrant one wins, right? What, what qualifies a quadrant one? Uh, yeah, Jesus, you have to make me look this top, up. <laughs> <laughs> top 25 team or on the road. Florida State, for sure, I think is quadrant one win. And Houston being ranked number six, I would think is, even though it's at home. Um, huge test early in the year. And we pull these out. We're talking about playing weaker teams later in the year, barring some kind of collapse. I mean, we should we should uh, be right in there for a not large bit. We might even not even have to win the conference to get in. So, All right, quadrant uh, one. Here we go. Home games versus RPI teams ranked in the top 30. Neutral games versus one through fifty, and away games versus one through seventy-five using the RPI. So not their ranking per se, but their RPI percentage, which is kind of a made-up stat, um, which is winning percentage, uh, uh, opponents' winning percentage, and opponents' opponents' winning percentage, <laughs> and those are all weighted <laughs> as a factor. So that's how you get a quad one, quad two, and quad three, four win. I gotta think Florida State is top seventy-five. So Florida State, high. yeah, Florida State is absolutely going to be a quad one win. Uh, Cincinnati, I don't know about. I don't know who Cincinnati's played yet. Um, but when it's all said and done, they probably end up being a quad one win. I don't know if I think they change right over time. Like I think if you play a team that's uh, you know zero and one, and they go on and win the rest of her games, like I think I think you should uh, I think you get credit for that as, as you think about their their RPI. Because at this point, Cincinnati came into our game losing three in a row, so they've lost four in a row. Yeah. So you're telling me right now it could be considered quad three or whatever, but then if they go on a run at the end of the season, you look back at it, it could be a quad. I think so. I feel like that's how I, how I, how I know it. But now as you're saying that above, I want to make sure that's accurate. So no one take that uh, as, as biblical, but that makes sense, right? Cause what if you go, Oh, and you, know, you lose your first game. And so you're a quad four team and then you, you know, you, you lose it, uh, you know, a buy-in game to Belmont state university. And then you go 20 and you know, 20, you know, the rest of the way, right. You're still a quad four win. That does that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, I don't know, but at least the good thing about basketball is, is you still have a chance to get in. Yeah. So no matter where they rank you and all this stuff, you you win the conference tournament, you're in. And if you're in our a conference like ours and you have a good season, 
finish in the top two or three, you should definitely get into. So at least we got that going for us. Well, yeah, a couple, a couple other notes. Um, so again, Mayhan averaging 22 and a half points a game. Isaiah Adams, you mentioned the, the true freshman 14. And then uh, uh, Darren Green Jr., a guy who tested the NBA stuff, um, averaging 12.8, basically 13 points a game. Um, you know, so you know, coming on a little bit, I think we expected he would have to carry most of the scoring load. We'll see if Mayhan's up to the challenge of, of getting 22 a night. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big ask for uh, for a college guy. Um, so there may be some regression on that, and not because he's a bad player, just because defense is a little key in on him and so on and so forth. So we'll see if we can keep that up. But I do also want to mention Dre Filler. I said this, uh, you know, we talked about UC, uh, FSU. Um, he's their primary ball handler. He only had four turnovers versus Cincinnati, and that seems like a lot. We only had eight total as a team, so he had 50% of them, by the way. Um, but for somebody who wasn't a primary ball handler, we essentially, are, I think our point guards this year were supposed to be Tony Johnson Jr., who's out with an injury. Um, Dawkins is pulling a bit of a hypo, and, you know, I don't know if we know how long, but I think there was surgery involved. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to be walking through the door any minute now. Um, and then we have, we have Darius Perry, who came in from Louisville. You know, he's a veteran guard. He made some decent plays during the Florida State game. He was at least under control at times. You know, he got a couple plays where he seemed out of control, but he's got experience. You know, he's, he's been in some of these games. But against Cincinnati, Mike, who, who, uh, he, he went to one of 11 from the field. Uh, so we, we, we may need to work on shot selection for Darius there and make sure he's getting good shots. Um, but Dre Fuller stepped in nicely and, uh, and has handled the point guard duties. And then uh, Dawkins does this thing, Mike, if I have any qu- you know, qualm with, with Dawkins, he juggles his lineups a lot. Um, and I, I'm sure there's strategic reasons for it, but C.J. Walker started against Florida State. Uh, but then he came off the bench and Sean Mobley, who has not been uh, super impressive, started against Cincinnati. So I don't, I don't know if he's just trying to bolster his bench. I don't know what, you know, what kind of brings these decisions, but I think it was like two years ago, you and I did this, you know, that was last year, actually uh, each week. It was like a, you know, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, mo who was going to start. So I'd love to see you know Dawkins just figure out his rotation, give guys the opportunity to get settled in those roles uh, and then, uh, and then kind of move on. But uh, you know, I guess early on, maybe he's just testing some stuff out and uh, we'll see how that shakes out. All right. How much of that is, it's only the fourth game of the year. Sure. And- we didn't have all these warm-up games against uh, NJIT and all these. Usually we have like 10 games early in the year where we can figure that out. And then when you get to conference play, you get the same lineup. So maybe it's going to take them a little bit this year. But it, it's good to see the balance on this team. We got three guys that can score and beat you. If the game's coming down to the end, who's, who's taking the last shot? I mean, it could be Mahan or it could be Adams or you can find Darren Green in the corner for a three. I and mean, there's many ways which is something I love. I, I, I hate it when it's just a one guy, you know, it's going to be him and, and then you live and die with him. Yeah. So this team is, is looking solid and the free throw shooting. Oh yeah. I was going to say how yeah. many years yeah. that we, we cursed the free throw shooting uh, under Dawkins too. We had not been a good free throw shooting team this year. We've been great. We're number one in the country, right? We were, I think uh, we didn't, we weren't as good against Cincinnati. So I think we've lost a couple of percentage points. I don't think we're still number one there. Um, Isaiah Adams particularly went two of six from the line uh, against Cincy. So I think we, we fell off the number one perch, but we're definitely making more than we were uh, in, in previous. Uh, it's something I tweeted and it sounds dumb, but my old high school, uh, high school coach used to say all the time, they're giving you free points, take them. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's certainly if we can hit free throws um, and those are the two things I kind of, I circled down as I looked at some of the box scores and, and got more in depth of it. If we can make our free throws and we can limit turnovers, which are two things we're doing right now. 
Um, like those are things that killed us in years past. We were doing games where we had 20 and 25 turnovers and that's with BJ Taylor and Aubrey Dawkins and, and veteran guys. If we can, we can keep this down to a minimum again, uh, eight overall against Cincinnati. We had 13 against Florida state. Not that 13 is great, but if we can keep, you know, keep our turnovers down, make our free throws. Uh, and then you're right. We've got guys who can make plays on, uh, on both sides of the floor. We can at least muck it up and stay around for some games and then steal a couple of these things at the end. If we're not, you know, I don't think we're an offensive juggernaut and we're not going to, you know, come out and, and, you know, absolutely just light the scoreboard up. But I think we can we can keep games close. We can stick around. Uh, and then, you know, we got these guys down the stretch. And, and if they can make plays, you know, we'll find ourselves in more games than we won't. But a solid offensive team, we're not – nothing to – yeah, yeah, I, I guess I just yeah. scored we'll, 80 points. Yeah, I guess I mean this. We're not like the Golden State Warriors, right? We're not just going to be coming off screens and just nailing threes from everywhere, right? We're not that fluid offensive team. Um you know, but we've got enough guys. I think we're athletic enough to be good on offense. If that makes sense, I don't think our system is such that we're going to just you know manifest points based off the way that we run our actions. But we're gonna have guys who can do stuff individually and make a play to to get points um, versus you know kind of a system generated offense. All right, a lot of stuff in transition against Florida State. You know, getting some turnovers and some easy buckets, a lot of layups. So, uh, and what do you expect on Saturday? This is a big one. Yeah, if we can pull this one out. I mean, the conference is basically ours for the taking going forward, right? Well, I mean, Houston is the uh, – they're the cream of the crop of the American Conference. They're, they're, they're 6 and 6-0 right now. They're the sixth-ranked team in the country. Um, I mean, they're a good team. Don't get me wrong. Uh, they're, they're only – not only, but they have a signature win so far. They beat number 14, Texas Tech. Uh, they, also, um, they also beat South Carolina. But interestingly enough, they've, they've played six games, five uh, home games, and one neutral site game. So they have not left Houston – uh, so we'll see if that has any impact, um, you know, with them. Um, obviously, we're we'll, we'll see how that you know falls on the stretch for them, you know, getting out of, getting out of home. But yeah, it would be a huge win if we can figure out a way to, uh, to to keep it close. Obviously, we know that's the again that's the kind of the cream of the crop. Kelvin Sampson, their head coach, he's kind of notorious for um, you know working referees and getting calls and and things of that nature. So uh, we'll see how early the the tie and the jacket toss come from Kelvin Sampson, but. Um, it should be, if we can, you know, I think if we hang in games, I think that's the thing. I think my hope is this team is young enough to not know any better and just play ball and make plays and not, not get, not get too big for the moment. And if that's the case, maybe we hang around, we do some good things. Houston was the big win that we had a couple of years ago. Remember they had college game day on campus. Um, and then we ended up beating them on the road after they had beat us up pretty good at home earlier that year. That was actually a game I went to. And it looked like they were way better than us. And then we finally got things rolling. So it'd be cool. It'd be a huge win on ABC. Uh, and then from there, like I told you, we break up these schedules. Following that one up, you got Tulane and then the Cows on January 2nd. So, and then we after that, it doesn't get uh, a lot easier. You get Memphis and then you get three road games. One at Tulsa where we've never won before. Temple, who I think we should handle, and then back to Houston again in January. So... This is the toughest part of the schedule, and then we got a little break there later in the year. If we can handle business here like we've been doing so far, I like where we're going. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, COVID obviously will play a role, so we'll see how many you know these games will end up getting played. We'll probably have some cancellations or whatnot along the way. But uh, good time to jump on board the Hoops bandwagon if you haven't had a chance to, to catch the team yet. Uh, again, tune in Saturday, ABC, 1 o'clock. Um, you'll have a good opportunity to, to, to watch the, the young guys and, and see how they play and you know, uh, Dawkins is, you know, he's, he's a guy, Mike, we talk a lot about hypo, right? I feel like, you know, two years ago, the, the Dawkins slander was real. 
right? He was winning with some of else's players. You know, he wasn't uh, wasn't recruiting well, and uh, we weren't getting the big name guys. And you know, here here and at that point, Hypo was on top of the world from a football standpoint, and we were just we were going to kill it. And here we are, you know, two years later, and maybe roles are reversed a little bit, Mike. <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys wanted to get rid of Dawkins a couple yeah. of years ago. <laughs> and now he's got things going. He's got the program going in the right direction. So it just shows you as fans, I mean, we're guilty of it too. Sometimes, you know, you think you have all the answers or you don't, and it's not as easy as it looks uh, running these programs. So, uh, But Dawkins is a guy that's proven he can do it, and he's done it before at big-time schools. He was coach at Stanford. Did a good job over there. So uh, I like where he's going with this thing, and, and we'll ride it out with him. And hopefully he's a guy that wants to be here for a long time. Well, we'll uh, we'll see how it works out on Saturday. But coming up next, we'll do uh, uh, we'll do pick review and we'll do cow. We'll probably do that all together so we can get you out of here early. Uh, so we'll do picks and we'll do cows coming up right after the break here. Sons of UCF episode number one hundred and twelve. I'm Jeff Allen. Join me each week for unique yet common sense opinions on sports on the Jeff Allen Sports Talk podcast. We will break down the sports world minus the hot takes with prominent guests and my stable of sports guys. It's Sports Conversation, the way it should be. Search Jeff Allen Sports Talk wherever you get your podcasts or go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. This is UCF Athletic Director Danny White. And if you don't want to be the cow of the week, you need to listen to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Charge on. Go Knights. All right, so uh, uh, picks. Uh, obviously, the season has largely come to an end. Um, uh, bowl games are, are going on. Uh, but uh, now that UCF's out of it, I don't know what we're going to do for picks. But what we should do, though, is we should honor the folks who hung in there week after week and went toe-to-toe with UCF Mike. And uh, there's one person in particular, Mike, that uh, that I think deserves some recognition and has had a fantastic year, has has, has hung in there with you to the, to the bitter end. Uh, and uh, why don't you give us some updates on who that is and how well they did? Well, nobody was able to beat me. Of course. I, the best <laughs> <laughs> well, I was 46 and 28 against the spread, which is pretty damn good. And the guy that lost only by two because he went against me in the championship game. He was, he was basically neck and neck with me the whole year. He's always like one pick behind me for most of the weeks. UCF 87. His name is Daryl. I've already been in contact with him. I sent him an email. We've been in touch. He will be getting one of these Sons of UCF hats. All right. That's for sure. Way to go, Daryl. Uh, he he says that he won it last year, but I don't think we did it last year. Right? <laughs> Is he talking about the bowl? Did we do a bowl pick him last year that I'm forgetting? I, I think, think maybe we did. I think we did a bowl pick him. I don't know if it was last year, but I know we did a bowl pick him at least once. Yeah, I think that's what it was. He claims that he won that one. Well, he sounds like a man of honor. I don't. I wouldn't question him. All right, and now second place in this one. So he's consistent and a good prognosticator himself. Not as good as me this year, but up there. And then you have uh, our friend, UCF MSU Clemson. She did a good job, too. She was right there with us. Nice. I think finished one behind him for third place. And then you got, you know, the pathetic guys. A lot of guys gave up early in the year. And you gave up early. <laughs> uh, Jeff Allen, I think, gave up. Trace, I think, made his picks every week. He just made them poorly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, some guys, they, they knew they, they couldn't catch me and, and they didn't put in their picks every week. That's fine. But it was a good time doing it, man. I, I enjoyed doing it every week. And next year, 
you guys will be able to you know, have a chance to knock me off the throne. But for now, this whole season, I am the champ. Uh, hey, listen, Mike has earned the, the right to uh, to brag on that a little bit. Um, but uh, kudos to uh, to anybody who hung in there with you, Mike. Obviously, you, you spent some time going over this each week. Uh, and uh, we, we try to modify the picks every every time we do this just to make it more fun and more interesting. We've had guest pickers on and all that other stuff too. But uh, uh, hopefully you guys enjoy the pick stuff as much as uh, Mike and I do. And uh, congrats to the to the winner or winners, I guess, and the folks who did well. And uh, we'll figure out a way to get you your swag. Sounds like Mike's already in touch with the right people to make that happen. So, uh, so we'll we'll see we'll see what happens there. Speaking of bowls, Mike, if you want to talk about being depressed really quickly while we're recording this, I'm watching uh, Memphis um, uh, playing FAU in what appears to be something called the Montgomery Bowl. Uh, and Memphis is uh, is up eighteen ten in the third quarter. So FAU hanging in there with Memphis if that wants to if you want to depress yourself. <laughs> well i've already made the decision i've done it for the last few years now i don't watch any of these other bowls i watch one bowl a year so the game ucf is in and i'm regretting kind of watching that <laughs> one <laughs> but all these other ones are just basically a waste of time for me i have no interest in them no interest which at is all. why i'm not making any more picks now for the season does it my picks yep. are done well yeah they're they're done let's see if memphis can hold this one off because if fau beats memphis i'm gonna I'm going to lose my mind. But uh, we do Cow of the Week here every week, Mike, things that are dumb. Um, I think we both have the same thing this week. Uh, so I'll preface it, then I'll let you kind of take the baton first. The college football, um, I don't want to call them the playoff committee. I'll call them the, the college football uh, uh, TV rankings invitational committee, I guess. Um, they released their top four. Uh, they are uh, Alabama, Clemson, um, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. Uh, Cincinnati, who is in our conference, uh, went undefeated, and they are, I think, eighth, Mike? Uh, behind a uh, three-loss Florida team. And uh, Texas A&M, obviously, is also on the outside looking in, even though they only lost one game in the SEC. Uh, so, uh, again, the uh, committee continues just to be just idiotic, Mike. I'll let you I'll let you take it away from there, though. Well, no surprise in the final four that they picked. They basically can write in the, the playoffs every year before the season starts. <laughs> you know, it's going to be Clemson and Alabama for sure. Usually it's Ohio State. Sometimes they mix in Oklahoma. Sometimes it's Notre Dame. Who else has even made the playoffs in the last few years? It's a travesty the way they do it. It's so rigged. Uh, teams like us can go undefeated and not get in. I, I did, uh, before the Cincinnati game, I went on the, a podcast for a Cincinnati guy, and I warned those guys. I said, look, you can go undefeated. There is no way they're letting you in. And it was just a sad fact. They were holding out hope. They had no chance to get in. They put them at eight. Eight. <laughs> and behind three lost teams, Florida that lost the last two games of the year is still ranked higher than them. Why? The wins and losses don't matter. They go. They use the eye test is what they want to tell you. Uh, it's the dumbest thing going in sports. I don't know how it's lasted this long and how people agree to it. It's so easy to fix. And, and just because they expand the playoff to eight or whatever – if they keep if they keep using the same system, we're still going to get screwed, unless it's in writing that they have to take a team from our conference. We're we're still not going to get in. They'll leave us at nine. I mean, they, they put Cincinnati at eight this year. What what? You think it would kill them to to move them up one more spot so they could make an eighteen playoff? Of course they would do that. Everything is in about money with these people, not about the best interest of the sport, and it sucks. I sometimes I hate that I love UCF football so much because if I didn't. I wouldn't watch any of this crap because it's all it's basically wrestling, <laughs> you know, professional wrestling. It's fake. <laughs> it's not a playoff. We've said that a million times. It's a freaking invitational that they 
They have ESPN's in control of everything. They do it for the TV show. They do it for every week. They can show you the rankings and this and that, and it's a bunch of crap. And I'm sick of watching it. I'm sick of dealing with it. The system needs to change now. All of college football needs to change, not just the playoff system, everything. The, the way the conferences are set, are set up, the way the scheduling is done, and some teams are playing eight home games, and everything about college football basically sucks. And I, it kind of sucks that I love UCF football so much that I have to deal with watching all of it. Yeah, the funny thing about it is, I think uh, the commissioner guy or whatever his name is, the guy who does the you know the, the press stuff for the committee, he uh, somebody asked him about Cincinnati and Florida because Florida's seven, Cincinnati's eight, and they he said, "quote uh, that we had them both on at the same time because their championship games were both played at eight o'clock on that Saturday night, and we had them both on the screen side by side, and the committee just felt watching those two teams play that Florida would would was better than Cincinnati. <laughs> That's how they decided who was seven and who was eight. They literally just watched. It was like, you know what? I don't care about the score of that game, but I think if those two played each other, yeah, I think that team might be better than that team. And that's, I guess, that's literally how they decided to put um, Florida at uh, at seven, Cincinnati at eight. I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you're saying. It's 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 a travesty. It's a sham. Um, it's basically just like they're TV schedulers. That's really all they are. Is they're just trying to schedule the best entertainment for college football fans. And to your point, you can probably I, let's you and I can probably do this next week. We can tell you the 2021. Uh, Final Four. We can probably do it for you next week already uh, and save you a year of your life um, because, yeah, they just pencil a lot of that stuff in. But here's my and The way they explain Ohio State, too. That's dumb. Well, I think they came out and said, well, they were a conference champion, they were undefeated, and they had two top 20 loss, uh, top twenty wins. Well, Cincinnati was a conference champion. They were undefeated. <laughs> and they had two top – so, yeah. I mean, it's so stupid. And Coastal Carolina, too. Yes. They, they had the same yeah. thing. They beat, yep. they beat the BYU team that kicked their ass last night. BYU proven to be a pretty good team. Coastal Carolina beat them. They won every single game. And they get dinged. Why? Because they're not playing in, in a big so-called big conference. You know, the, the Big 12 has not been good. At Iowa State that everybody was ranking. They, they suck. Brock Purdy looked like, like he was crap the other day, throwing all these interceptions. They lost to Louisiana. They don't give Louisiana credit for that. No. The, the Pac-12 is nothing great. Who's good? Oregon. Oregon's okay. USC was a, was a house of cards. They they were five and zero, six and zero. They weren't going to get in either. But so here's here's my um, cow of the week element of it. It's it's all that stuff too. My cow of the week is all of these national media people. Uh, and, and not that they, you know, they mean much in the grand scheme of things. Right. But all of these, you know, sports writers now and TV guys who are all up in arms about like, how are we not going to let Cincinnati in? This is a travesty. How can a team that plays so well, not get in there? Look at how good this team is. You know, it's not a fair playoff, blah, 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 blah. Where the hell were you three years ago? Like where, where were all these people? Mike, do you remember one of our favorite TV shows of all time was we watched the very first season of hard knocks which was with the Baltimore Ravens. And I think we watched it every week. And there's a famous line in that particular um, show where Shannon Sharp says, I want my restitution, right? I want my restitution <laughs> for all of these people out there for, you know, 2017 and 2018 were mocking us, telling everybody, uh, you know, it's okay. You're just not ready for play for the big boys. The playoffs fine. And all of a sudden now they're all up in arms that it's not a fair system. Not everyone can play. Why are we doing this? I, I, I want receipts, Mike. I want all, I want all my restitution from all of these people 
who for the last three years have been oh, everybody who's made that stupid joke on Twitter about, oh, well, I guess you know, just do a UCF and claim yourself national champions, right? Everybody who's made fun of that and made fun of the banner, I, everybody who's out there who takes the, you know, the quote unquote self-proclaimed national championship in their story. I want my restitution. I want all my restitution. Send it to Sons of UCF on Twitter. I want my restitution because everybody was all over us and we should just go home and be happy with our little peach bowl. But now all of a sudden, it, the, you know, the exact same thing is happening again. And now they're like, oh, it's too much. I want, I'm, Mike, I want restitution. That's my cow of the week. My, yeah. I want my restitution. And it starts with Mike Oresco. Yes. Oh, yes. Mike Oresco, where the hell were you three years ago? And you know what? Like, don't give me this crap that the conference is better this year. The conference was good then, too. I mean, 2017, the Cows had lost one game. They were a good team. Houston was a good team when they uh, they had the quarterback. Uh, that's with Miami now. I'm forgetting his name. For Derek King. Right. And Memphis was a good team. And in 18, Memphis was a good team. Cincinnati was a good team. He wasn't saying anything back then. And now all of a sudden, he's up in arms. Why? Is it because it's not us that he's saying this now? I don't. I mean, you want your conspiracy theories. Of him not getting along with Danny White and not liking that whole thing. I don't know. But where the hell was he? And now he's saying something. Uh, and yeah. I, I want my restitution. <laughs> Here's the he actually said that um he had a story, I think it was Yahoo, where he said he was always behind the scenes very vocal about the playoff, but was was purposely being quiet in public because he wanted to to be a good, you know, uh, a good representative of college football on blah, 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 blah. But now he's had enough. It's just too much. He can't take it anymore. So he's going to tell us that behind the scenes, he was always yelling and screaming at these guys for, for us and for Memphis and whoever else was on top at that point in time. But he just didn't do it publicly so that he looked like a good little boy. But now now it's enough. Now he's had enough and he's out there and, and gosh darn it, he's mad. And let's go back to the BCS and blah, 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 blah. Mike Oresco, I want my restitution. Where were you in 2017? Right, you were you were standing on the sidelines and you were making faces at Danny White when he was leading. When you were standing there, allegedly having these backdoor conversations. So all the Zarescos of the world, all the media people who are up in arms now and want to change the playoff and the best teams don't play and give the little guy a chance. I want my restitution. <laughs> you know, Cincinnati still has a chance to win the national championship. They need help. They need Alabama to lose. Yeah. But if Clemson wins or Notre Dame wins. And they're the only undefeated team, and they're ranked number one by the Colley Matrix. Or they should do the same exact thing and claim the national championship. And I would support them. I think everybody at UCF would support them. Same thing with Coastal Carolina. Yeah. And if you look at, there's a, a there was a chart out there that shows you exactly what has to happen and who would finish number one if these certain things happen. I think if Clemson wins, and if Notre Dame, and obviously Cincinnati has to beat Georgia. But there, there's possibility for them to get it. Now, it, with Alabama's undefeated, that kind of yeah. ruins everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is not an anti-Cincinnati rant. I mean, obviously, they're in the exact same position we were in, you know, years ago. Uh, I would argue ours was maybe a little tougher. We played a full slate of games. Um, you know, we, we played, you know, non-cons, even though maybe our non-conference, you know, that year wasn't as, as stout. But we played a full slate of games. Um, so I might argue ours was a little bit more um, – uh, a little bit more, but whatever. Uh, um, either way, it's not anti-Cincinnati. It's just anti-everybody who now just woke up all of a sudden and was like, you know what? It turns out this college football playoff isn't fair after all, um, where all the evidence was already out there three years ago, and everyone wanted to ignore it and, and tell UCF. And then the David Pollocks of the world and the Kirk Herbstreets are just like, go make your own little G5 playoff. It'll be great for TV and blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's just, I want restitution. 
at send send all my all of my restitution. Send the receipts to Suns ECF. We're ready for you. It's the dumbest thing ever. Every sport, people love the Cinderella story, and in college football, they don't even allow Cinderella to go to the dance. It's the dumbest thing ever. I mean, even in college basketball, we finally for years the 16 seed never won a game, right? But then it finally happened. So so what if they? Would it kill him to put us in the playoff every, all these years? And maybe we get our asses kicked for our first few times. But eventually, a team from one of these conferences will win a playoff game. And it'll be a great moment in sports. And that's what sports is supposed to be about, competition. Not about people deciding in a boardroom, watching games on TV, saying, oh, yeah, this team looks better than that team. What the hell is that? It's not sports. That's backdoor, backroom things that are – Guys making deals, it's a bunch of crap is what it is. Well, yeah, they love Cinderella until Cinderella, um, as long as Cinderella knows her place. And I think that was the issue is we we decided we didn't want to just be nice and say, okay, hey, thanks for letting us have uh, a, a, an afternoon here at the Peach Bowl. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you guys all later. That's what they wanted us to do. But because we decided that we weren't going to you know, do what they wanted to do, I think that's where we got the flack for it. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, we we crawled so Cincinnati can walk, right? We, you know, I, I used to say it all the time in our shows, and, and if people laughed at it was, you know, first guy through the wall gets bloodied. Danny White was right, you know, three years ago when he claimed national championships, quote, unquote, and he did all these things, right? First guy through the wall gets bloodied. Danny got eviscerated everywhere. Everybody made fun of him. Everybody said he was this. Everybody said he was that. People on Twitter came after him all the time. And here we are three years later, and everybody's like, you know what? This is unfair. Uh, and so it's it's just funny how this has turned full circle. And I think the only thing I can – one of the only major differences, Mike, is Fickle and Cincinnati don't talk much. They don't say much. They're not, you know, I don't, I don't see much of Cincinnati on Twitter. Maybe I just don't follow the right people. You don't hear Fickle out there kind of campaigning for his team and right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, and maybe that's the big difference is that people are, not, are there because Cincinnati feels like being quiet about it where, you know, UCF and Danny White, we were like, no, we're not going to sit tight here. We're going we're gonna to tell you this is bad. I don't know if that's the only difference, Mike, but it's, it's, uh, it's definitely cow-worthy how quickly that, that's changed. So. But. Well, we didn't really do much of the talking until after we sure, yeah. beat Auburn. Yeah. So maybe that's what Cincinnati is going to do too. If they win and beat Georgia, then they'll come out and, and say what we said. And maybe he just doesn't want to get say anything before that. But in 2018, I mean, we had every right to get in two years in a row undefeated, yeah. and they still wouldn't put us in. So, it's all crap. And, yeah, they they change the bar every year. They say, okay, well, you have to have a history of doing it. You have. And then they and then they'll say, well, it's only about this season. They change it to fit however whatever narrative they need to get their same teams into the playoff, and it, and it'll continue to be that way no matter how many teams you put in the playoff. They'll as long as there's a committee deciding it, it's crap. So unless there's a clear criteria, you win this game, you win this conference, or whatever you're in, until that day comes, the whole system sucks. Yeah, I mean, it just it makes no sense. I mean, and the other thing that always just we're already talking about this, we might as well do it now. The only thing that always, always, ir- always, always irritates me is whenever we do this, we we say that the only team that really had a chance was that 2015 Houston team, right? Because they, you know, they 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 played at Louisville, you know, they they played, uh, you know, they played a tough schedule, you know, then they end up they played a, a Memphis team, a Cincinnati team that you know that's the only team they always talk about had had like that really good shot at it. Um, is they always bring up that one that one Houston team. And it just, it, it just never, <laughs> it never makes any sense. You know, it, it, again, no one knows what to do. They changed the bar at all times. Um, actually, maybe it was that 2016 uh, Houston team, I think about it, because they played Oklahoma and beat Oklahoma early on. Um, but either way, it, it, it never makes any sense. Um, and to your point, they change the bar all the time. 
and nobody knows how to talk about it other than to try to protect their own interest. And in the end, really, who suffers are fans of, of teams because as much as maybe you're a fan of Oklahoma, you're a fan of you know Notre Dame, blah, 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 that's like seven schools. You know, There's like 122 other FBS schools who have fans too. Um, and I don't know what the numbers are and everything like that, but you know, it just it doesn't seem right that you ha, you and I can already tell you the next four years of of playoff uh, teams in in college football. We could probably do it right now if we wanted to. So. Yeah, they expect you to to be uh, psychic and know which teams are going to be good, so you can put them on the schedule. Yeah, and then of course they know that the good teams don't want to schedule you when you're good. Yes, and you got to schedule these games ten years in advance. But, so yeah, that Houston team they had top ten teams on their schedule, but they didn't know that ten years before when they made those games that they were going to be in that position. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about with the whole college football needs to the has to be revamped completely and made fair for every team and schedule starts with scheduling. Yeah, yeah. That there should the schools themselves should not be determining who they play. It should be you should be given a schedule by college football and say this is your schedule every year. And that's it. And it changed from year to year, not 10 years from now. You don't have games scheduled for 2034. <laughs> Dumbest thing ever. Is, These kids are not even born yet. Yes. <laughs> Their games are scheduled. Yeah. And plus, they get, yeah, they get out of them half the time anyway. But who the hell knows? Mike? Either way, it, you know, it's just it's frustrating. But that's what we're here for in the Suns of UCF, to talk about stuff that frustrates us for like 30 minutes and you get to listen to it, which we uh, we greatly appreciate you do for doing uh, for doing that and for listening to us each and every week. Uh, you guys are the best. Again, if you haven't already done so, please continue to uh, to follow on, on Twitter. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Uh, obviously, Mike and I will be around throughout the uh, the holiday time. We may take a couple weeks here and there for holiday stuff, but uh, we're, uh, we're a basketball school now, and so we will not go away. Uh, from from shows we'll start trying to get some interviews back on the on the books now too that we have some more time on our hands so we'll see if we can scrounge up some former night greats to bring on to uh to share their time at ucf so uh, your support as always is appreciated and uh and mike and i will be here for you uh maybe next week maybe the week after who the hell knows but uh whatever it is we will be uh, we'll be back and let's uh let's hope for a hoops win on saturday mike that'd be a nice little uh nice little holiday gift well we win on saturday definitely in the top 25 then it's just a question of how high I mean, after being the number 15 FSU and the number six Houston and Cincinnati is a good team. I mean, talking, what are we talking? Top 10? We're we talking top 10 if we win this game on Saturday. Uh, top 15. Not we 10. want Gonzaga. Are we, are we making it? We want Gonzaga. <laughs> Probably not top 10. Uh, top 20, like 17, 18, maybe somewhere Which, in there. Which by the way, that just proves even more how college basketball has it figured out a school like Gonzaga. Yeah can be ranked number one and it doesn't matter they're not a, uh, a so-called blue blood that has been handed stuff like alabama and ohio state that every you know it's gonzaga i, I to this day i can't even tell you where gonzaga is <laughs> washington state and, but you can you, so you can make fun of, of college uh, basketball you want but you and i just did it earlier and as much as i don't understand it there's a criteria right you quad one quad two quad three quad four like it, it may be funny math and it may not make a lot of sense but there's at least a criteria it's on paper you can read about it you can figure it out you can google it you can know in advance who you're playing and what what that looks like where college football it's hey we're watching two teams at the same time this one looks better right like at least there's a criteria you can you can say it's not a good one i don't i'm not disputing that but at least there's something on paper that actually you can go and, and look at and make sense versus just being like you know what tv left looks better than tv right and if you win all your games, you're guaranteed to be in. That's for sure. That's, that's for damn sure. But all right, either way, we'll figure that out uh, some other time. But uh, 
Uh, again, you guys are the best. Uh, make sure you follow along, and uh, maybe we do a live show Saturday, Mike. We'll see what we can we can scrounge up here um, in advance of the big Houston game. Uh, so uh, stay tuned to social media channels for all of that stuff. We'll see if Trace is around. Again, big thanks to Trace and Kyle for taking the comm for us while we were in Boca. Uh, it was good to catch up with UCF Mike. Good to catch up with a lot of you guys out there, too. And, uh, and we'll hopefully talk to everybody soon. Everybody have a great holiday. Uh, have a great Christmas, great Christmas Eve. And uh, everybody be safe. Hope you have some time with your family and be social distance and whatnot. And uh, Mike and I will be back to, uh, to recap everything we can think about at that point in time. But until then, everybody have a good week. Go Knights. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.